Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. I should have stayed home and played with myself. What do you like to do? Oh, I don't know. Play chess? Screw. Well, let's play chess. The Indianapolis Colts select Anthony Richardson, quarterback, Florida. Richardson going to take off and run. He's in there. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. The first career touchdown. Here's Halliburton into the front court. Mishandled it, but gets a shot. Hits it. Hits it. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. All right, you guys ready to have a little bit of fun tonight? I'm going to draw those lines. Boilers and the Hoosiers tonight at 7 o'clock. And again, 93 WIBC has that. When I am done here, that will give you your opportunity because you have heard all that you can hear of incredible sports greatness right here. You can turn over. It's got uh, Herrick, Don Fisher, Eric Soar, and uh, the pregame show. That's 93 WIBC coming up later on tonight at 6 o'clock. Now, we also know this, that you can only see it on Peacock, and, you know, I often whine about things around here. That is not lost on me. You know me for a lot of things, and some of which aren't good, and, you know, one thing that is, I own stuff. I'll own it. I mean, I have worn out the, I'm not going to get Peacock. I'm not going to do this. Um, So last week, as I mentioned, I finally dialed in to Peacock. It's not that big of a deal. I will say this. I was running it this morning, right? Just to see how much it would run. Because I do. I live out. I live out in the country. Not as far in the country as I grew up. But I live out in the country. And sometimes... The internet can be a little bit suspect. Now, shout out to our friends at uh, Johnson County Fiber. Always good folks. I love them down there for that. Now, I do have I have a hotspot, and then I do have, you know, in-home. I don't know if it's supposed to be 5G or whatever, but I will tell you this, that I, I put it on Dan Patrick's show this morning on Peacock, and I went in just going to let it run to see if there are any glitches or anything like that. And when I came back, it was off. I went to take a shower, and, of course, 45 minutes later after I take a 45-minute shower and I get back, and it was off. So I don't know how it runs for you. I, I consider that just you know people, if you live closer to a, a town in general, that you probably have pretty good service. I'll give you a great example. My mom down in GC will get absolutely nothing. I don't even attempt to explain it to her. I just said, hey, listen to Don on the radio. And I'll, I'll say this, and I feel bad about it too. I will embellish some things just to get her off the subject I said, hey, I was talking to Don today, and he really wants you to listen. <laughs> and she, she goes, okay, I'm going to listen. So yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about watching. 
I told Don that you're going to listen, and and he he really wants you to listen. So I, I try to say that to get her off that that subject because down there it is really bad, and I'm assuming there are more than a couple of rather large pockets throughout the state. And this is not just you know an IU thing. This is a Purdue thing as well. That I'm guessing coming up tomorrow. Those that that got it, if you struggle or have any issues with it, then there are going to be some outspoken folks out there. So and I also assume this. I'm guessing that a lot of you probably didn't have Peacock until today. I mean, like me, I did it a week ago in preparation because you had both IU and Purdue back-to-back in different settings in New Jersey and Nebraska. But I'm assuming a lot of you probably just – reached out and brought that in and dialed it up today. I know you can get it on your phone and I I, I know all that. And I, I should I should shut up about it. I should have stopped whining about it because it is not that difficult. But if you just I want the the easiest way, especially with a way that I already pay for and that's always been my thought. But I gave in, and I own it right here. So hopefully there's no belches, no burps, no glitches or anything for you tonight. And if you're watching that game, you will find it for you in its entirety. Because it's going to be some fun. And Noah Eagle's going to join us. First time in Assembly Hall. He and Robbie Hummel have the call on Peacock later on tonight. Uh, as you well know, the uh, Eagle family and this show have become really tight. Uh, both dad, I and Eagle, and son Noah. Noah, first time in Assembly Hall. We'll talk about that experience and then some with Noah. He's going to join us coming up here in the 4 o'clock hour. As we were talking about in that transition segment with uh, Jake and Jimmy and Eddie a moment ago, uh, this is incredibly meaningful for IU tonight. It's always meaningful. It's a rivalry matchup, right? But they need this resume builder in the world of the net and the Ken Palm and all that crap. They need a resume. You need a check mark somewhere because you don't have one right now. I mean, when you look at it within the Big Ten, they're even Steven right now. But IU needs this type of win. You consider, you know, Purdue a rival tied in the Big Ten. You know, obviously all of that, but you also look at it for further down the road. You get a win over Purdue tonight, and that that is something that is necessary that you simply don't have on your resume currently. Now, we were kind of joking about that, you know, the must-win situation. This, this is one where you need it. Second-ranked team in the nation. I don't know what nerdery is going to happen, how that's transformed in the case of a win, but you need it. It's like that thing you put at the top of your resume. You guys all have a resume out there, I'm guessing. James, you have a resume. What's at the top of your resume? Like being birthed or something like that, or do you have like the best thing going? I I can't remember the last time I even saw. I don't know if I have a resume. I just hope that I'd never get fired. I mean, at the very top, I just have like my name and my contact information and okay. all that sort of. I stuff. I mean, you have good stuff on there though, right? Like I mean, good yeah. stuff outline. All right, here's my my good stuff, and it's highlighted. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm trying to describe here in a long winded way is that this would be at the top of that list of the good stuff for IU tonight. And really, when you think about it. 
with where they are this season in mind, it is 100% necessary. Hate to put it that way, but it is 100% necessary. And it is going to be difficult. I will tell you this. Um, as talented as Purdue is, IU can bring that length to the table. You're always doing a couple of different things regarding IU. Now, certainly on the road you are. At home, it gets better. The shooting gets home, or I should say the shooting gets better at home as it should. You're going to be amped up by the crowd as it should The thing that IU doesn't have this year that they've had, for example, when they've won three of the last four is Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, even in circumstances in which maybe maybe he thought he didn't have a great game. And I know you look at uh, Hood Shafino and what he did in West Lafayette last year is huge, going 30-plus and hitting absolutely everything. He was like Johnny Midrange. It was awesome. If you're an IU fan, not so much if you're a Purdue fan. But you look at just what Trace brought to the table with attention in mind. And he had everybody's attention trying to take him away. That, in fact, if you've watched Trace for a moment play for Golden State, he is a much better passer, and he became a much better passer last year in that fourth year. But he was always somebody that you had full attention Two, and when you don't have that, that that is one of the reasons why you can see this team is is different, and you knew it was going to be. You just had hoped that these guys, you know, wear and renew, and then you get a guy like Walker who either starts or is coming off the bench that has been down the path before and played high levels of basketball and big games. You hope that those guys become more consistent. And this is even beyond talking about the backcourt. It's funny, both of these teams, both of these teams conversationally, the first thing you always bring up is what? If they can get the consistency in the backcourt. The Boilermakers, at a higher level, no question about that, they also look for that play. Consistency in the backcourt. I was talking to Rob Blackman, the voice of the Boilermakers, yesterday, and I, this is how I look at it. And I don't know if it's true. I'd, I'd have to ask Matt Painter this, and you know, we'll see if we get him on the show coming up tomorrow. But it just kind of seems like this team is at its best when Lawyer is playing at a high level. Because when he is engaged and playing at a high level offensively, that obviously, like it would any basketball player in the world, seemingly make you better on the other end. But when he is not, when he is not, it can be not just an individual struggle, but it can be a struggle to find what you're looking for in that backcourt. And believe me, it's not lost on me. The most important player is that of Zach Eady. The most important thing about that player is the type of whistle that he gets. But I also understand this, that a guy like sophomore Fletcher Lawyer is so huge. And you can say, well, he's a complimentary player. So if he's playing well, you know, obviously that Edie's probably playing well and Braden Smith is probably playing well. So when you add that as a, you know, a third prong, for example – then all that's going to do is help. But I just, to me, I think it makes it different on both ends. 
more engaged on the defensive end because you're having a good game on the offensive end. And we have seen when the Boilermakers, you know, have lost, for example, you know, Northwestern and you get you get Nebraska. I get this. Nebraska shot the lights out. And I heard Matt talking about how when when you look back on the tape, that I think what do you say, ten of those made threes were defended well in what they're trying to do, but the other team just just is in a zone. They're knocking the lights out. But consistency from that backcourt is still going to be the most necessary component tonight and then further down the road. And we'll see if that dynamic works tonight. If Fletcher Lawyer, for example, has a good game, good game offensively, just how much that does to the rest of his game, including that on the defensive end. A lot of people talk about Mason Gillis. There's no question about that, especially the way he's shooting the basketball right now. And again, you do start with Edie, and you start with the type of whistle that Edie is getting. Boilermakers and Hoosiers coming up later on tonight. We got a lot more for you. And again, Noah Eagle, who's got the call on Peacock, joins us coming up here in the 5 o'clock hour. Greg Rakestraw, congratulations to Greg, who won Sportscaster of the Year. In fact, not only Greg, but Kyle Neddenrip of the Star, both friends of the show, Sportscaster of the Year and Sports Writer of the Year. And Greg Rakestraw and Kyle Neddenrip, that is an awesome honor for the state of Indiana and a shout-out to both of them for a job well done, not just in one year, but all the way around. We're incredibly lucky to have them both. Greg joins us coming up at the bottom of the hour. Brad Spielberger at Pro Football Focus will go over the weekend. His thoughts on that. Moving forward with the Colts, what can you do? If anything, free agency-wise, what might make sense at the skill position? Has Chris Ballard changed up his approach at all? His philosophy of the approach. And then what we witnessed last night. Nick Sirianni, I know that it sounds lame of me to act as if I'm piling on. But basically, from the moment when he ran over and he screamed at the fans about that one was for Frank last year. Um, I, until that point, I really didn't think much of him. And then I thought, man, you know, this guy combined with the bravado and it's great to have bravado. It is, but you have to be able to deal with it when old karma comes a calling to kick your ass. And there has been no greater whipping than what he and his team has seen after getting out to those 10 wins. This has been a stratospheric collapse. And I think most people out there, including some in Philadelphia, are celebrating that because they loathe Nick Sirianni. I know that normally, if there is a relationship, if there is a former, a prior connection with a coach, everybody always loves him. You know, normally, when you look at that, considering, you know, his offensive coordinator was Shane Steichen, everybody around here is in love with Shane Steichen right now. Everybody's uh, blaming, what, Brian Johnson, their their first-year offensive coordinator there. But I think for the most part, 
You know, Philadelphia goes from a year ago of being that hardworking, exciting team, fun to watch. And we talked about Howie Roseman going out and pulling the trigger and getting by our uh, before the trade deadline and, you know, bringing in these guys that ultimately help and not really worrying about longer term, worrying about right now. And, you know, unfortunately, his right now is screwed. Think about this. He goes to the Super Bowl last year, and fans at that game in Tampa last night were holding up makeshift, hastily created signs that state fire Sirianni. I know that in part that's where we are in sports in general. I mean, seriously, most of us, and I mean most of us, all of us out there, we can all look in the mirror on this. I mean, we're kind of jackasses when you think about it. I know I've been wrong before. I know I've been accurate before. But we're all kind of, you know, when we just so flippantly say, yeah, fire this guy, fire that guy. Uh, because I get this often, like, on social media. Hey, you need to be fired. And so I can't imagine if it were at a higher level as which it was right there on ABC and ESPN and ESPN2 last night. I mean, you saw Sirianni and that team go down in flames. And... Here's the other thing, too. Jalen Hurts, and he may be injured, probably is injured. Uh, They had no A.J. Brown last night. But when, when you win and you have that type of attitude, you're cool, calm, collected, calculated. And when you win, that's a great thing. But when you're that way and you lose, Right or wrong, you're you know disassociated with the team. You have no enthusiasm. You really don't care. You're not as invested as everybody else. Isn't it funny how that looks? Think about Jalen Hurts from one year to the other. Think about Nick Sirianni from one year to the other. And tell me how whack sports is. It's whack. Thought about him last year, what you thought about him in the offseason, and what everybody's thinking about him right now. Man, that's Philadelphia in a nutshell from last night. Uh, Bill's a winner as well. We'll go over that. Brad Spielberger is going to join us coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Pacer fans, you stay up and watch it last night. If you listen to Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports Indiana and I yesterday, we were setting you up for what was to come, and you just – here's what happens. Uh, you're already missing the biggest, the largest of the piece right there, and you can see the discombobulation offensively. It's just – and it's nobody's fault. The floor's fault. The shoe's fault. It's that fault. But it's nobody's fault. There is just going to be a major drop-off. And that drop-off has been considerable in the past two games. You saw that against Denver. That's why I mentioned, too, I would rather have had Utah first and then Denver second. I mean, I know. Who cares, right? But Utah, even with last night, I would still think you put Utah in a situation as the Pacers played in that, that game against Denver – I think Utah would be much more of a beatable team. You were just kind of sitting around and waiting for Jamal Murray to knock down a shot, or in that game, Michael Porter Jr. buried three after three, or you know the MV or the MVP doing what he does. In in Utah, 
I would take my chances with you know, Colin Sexton, for example, in crunch time and not trying to knock down threes to pad his stats that he was doing last night. I'd take my chances if the Pacers were close. Meaning, I thought they were going to lose in Denver regardless, but I think it made them much more beatable in Salt Lake City the night after because of that back-to-back and because of the schedule and the way the back-to-back went. But they didn't have very much last night except for injuries. You get no Aaron Neesmith again for the second straight game. Bruce Brown sat it out in his Carhartt outfit last night. You had Benedict Matherin go out with an injury, yeah, basically any big whatsoever. That was another night if I were going to sit here and just uh, incoherently whine about still trading Daniel Tice. If I wanted to do that, it could. I won't. I'll save you. I'll spare you that. But if I wanted to sit here and whine and cry about trading Daniel Tice and why that was so wrong, even though he wanted out, it's like the fifth or the sixth example where you're going, all right, so Miles has got a buttload of fouls. Uh, Jalen Smith has a buttload of fouls. Isaiah Jackson's got a ton of fouls. You need somebody to be able to guard a big, to be able to compete, maybe wall up a little bit, play some D. Yeah, last night would have been the night, although it's silly because he wanted out, and that's exactly what he got. But it was a bad night all the way around, and it was very predictable. We talked to JJ about that yesterday. That podcast is at 1075thefan.com. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace going to be here in the 5 o'clock hour. You get a lot of rumors regarding Pascal Siakam. The latest is, uh, and then you, you heard before, I think somebody had, well, he may be willing to go ahead and sign an extension if – and now you're seeing the other side of it is not going to be willing to do that because he wants to test free agency. Unless you're trading, you know, basically getting him for a song, you don't mess with that situation. And I know what we witnessed last night. You could use his offensive production. You could use his threat. Once Halliburton returns and they get back to full strength, that would be exciting to hell to watch. But a rental proposition is not a place where the Pacers are. I want to win right now, but even I understand that. I'm sick and tired of losing. I want to see them do something in April and in May. I want to see this happen right now. But even I understand that. You're not renting a player to come in for a couple of months and giving up whatever you end up giving up, whether it's you know Walker or Buddy Heald, even in an expiring deal, or even with Walker, if if you think, all right, we're going to take this for a while, we'll give this up because it's going to take a while for Walker to show what he can do. No, you're not in that position. As a matter of fact, I don't know if if this team. I don't know if you ever want this team in that position. Does that make sense to you? If you're asking what I mean by that, I don't think you ever want this team in that position because you have been sold. There has been dialogue that what Tyrese Halliburton does with his presence is attract others that want to play with him. You don't want somebody just coming in here for a minute shooting a couple of jumpers and then getting the hell out of the Dodge and then ending up in some larger market NBA franchise. 
I mean, that doesn't hold up with what we talk about, you know, in terms of Halliburton and the Pacers right now at all. It damages the franchise, too, and it looks bad. So I, I don't think, not even in this situation where it's obvious that that would be bad, I think in any situation anymore. I mean, you have to, you want to be like this is a destination. And I don't laugh. I know I walked outside at seven degrees. It's gray. It's ugly. It's freezing. Everybody was sliding around like, you know what, this morning. I better not say that. Like, you know what, this morning. Everybody's sliding around everywhere. It's the heartland. Now, we got some lakes and some creeks and a pond or two, but yeah, there's no ocean. There's no golf, there's no mountains, no beach. Well, there are a couple of beaches, but you know what I mean. But in terms of the NBA and a team, I do want this to to be a destination location for players that want to win and are ready to win and are ready to be a part of something because it has been a long damn time. A lot of you would suggest maybe never. It has happened. But it has been a long time, and that's what I want to see. So even when it may make sense further down the road, I don't want that to have to be utilized. I just want guys to say, you know what, I'm going to come here and play. I want to be a part of this. This is fun. Got a lob here and a lob there, a pocket pass here. Got a guy that's going to give you, you know, 15 dimes a game and then going to put up 25. This is what I want to be a part of. Exciting brand of basketball, fun to play up and down. So that's what I mean by not only do you not want that right now, but you don't want that in the future. Get back to that coming up in a minute. 239-1070 is the number. The email address, jamvia1075thefan.com. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Hello, everybody. I'll go ahead and log in and get with you folks and see what you're talking about coming up in a minute and a lot of college basketball conversation. Hey, by the way, shout out. Go ahead and let me know if you just today decided to relent and sign up with Peacock. Let me know. All right? No discouraging thoughts. No discouraging words, not making fun of, because I'm assuming a lot of us with the magnitude of this game did nearly the same thing. Talk with you coming up on the other side. The stream, the app, HD Radio, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, between... What was it? St. Peter's? And now having to watch sports content, I think we have said in the past couple of years, Peacock, way too many times on this station. Noah Eagle, who's got to call, along with Robbie Hummel, that's Purdue and IU and Bloomington later on tonight. Noah joins us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, Anthony writes this, I signed up for Peacock just before Christmas. There was a Saturday night NFL game that was only on there, and... I was in the hospital by myself, bored to death. 
It works fine for me in rural Madison County. Shout out to you, Anthony. I hope you're feeling better. Uh, Jim McCann in Southern California writes this. JMV Takeover, Larceny Bourbon, double shot power this weekend. Greg Rakestraw being named Broadcaster of the Year. Well-deserved. And uh, joining us now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline is the Broadcaster of the Year for the state of Indiana, Greg Rakestraw. Congratulations on that honor. That's well done. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, equal congratulations go to uh, Kyle Nenrip, yep. who is the uh, – NSMA, that's the National Sports Media Association, Sports Writer of the Year. And if I'm included in company with him, uh, I feel pretty honored about that. So are you going to that big Winston-Salem get-together this summer? I am. Um, The the folks that organize this, I I think, have an idea of what the business is about because they put it on June 30th and July 1st when (laughs) probably about the least amount of stuff is going on as possible. So the vast majority of award winners can show up. So amazingly, that hits kind of a a rare slow time of the year for me. So me and the misses are North Carolina bound at some point. Oh, man, well done. You're not going to be too far from what was made to be Mayberry, North Carolina. Mount Airy, North Carolina is not too far down the road. I think I have called you before. So for five years, I was the voice of the Division II World Series. Yep which was played in Cary, North Carolina. And my road trip to get down there, and Cary is between uh, Raleigh and Durham, uh, and so you would pass through Winston-Salem, but you would see Pilot Mountain, you would see Mount Airy as you drive down the other I-74, yep. just as you cross North Carolina. North Carolina. So I will, I will respond with a similar phone call, text, or on-air shout-out when I am passing what is clearly like a mecca for you in oh, Northwest North back Carolina. Back in tw- uh, 2003, we stayed at the Mayberry Hotel on our way to the Outer Banks, and it was a thrill of a lifetime, Greg. Did you get your – now, is there a Floyd's Barbershop where you can get your hair cut? There is. Um, it was unfortunate set of circumstances. I drove down the wrong way on a one-way in downtown oh, Mount Airy. So it, had Barney Fife been around, I would have certainly received a citation. Let's say you and Otis are going to be spending some quality time together to keep doing <laughs> yeah. that, bud. Right down the wrong stinking way. Right downtown there, too. It was uh, rather ridiculous. But, no, nah, it's it's a great, that's a great area, too. Like Winston-Salem, that's where Wake Forest is located. You yep. mentioned Pilot Mountain, about 30 miles down the road. But uh, it's a great area, North Carolina, right there. Well, I agree. And I, I loved the time. So I got to do two baseball events there for several years. The Division II World Series, which was in the Raleigh-Durham area, and then I got to do the American Legion World Series for four years, which is in Shelby, North Carolina, which is an actual place. Um, who was Danny McBride's character? I, I'm Space Kenny Powers. Yes. Uh, that, that, that hailed from Shelby. Shelby's yeah. real. Kenny is not. But the <laughs> love for the American Legion World Series in that town absolutely is. And, so I, got to, I used to spend like two weeks of my summer in North Carolina and thoroughly enjoyed it. I uh, grew up with about 25 Kenny Powers. Down where I'm from, though. I'm a... <laughs> you think Lanesville's any different? <laughs> yeah. So I have a lot of them back then, no doubt. Hey, uh, give me your thoughts on, on tonight down in Bloomington, too. And I kind of mentioned this as this is an absolute in terms of getting on the resume for IU. Um, it is still a rivalry, and you want to win, and you got a couple of losses in the Big Ten if you're Purdue, so it's important. But this would seem to me to be an opportunity that IU could not let slide past later on tonight. You agree? You just hit the key word, opportunity. This is your chance. And, and I have been critical 
of Indiana, but let's acknowledge what they have done well. And last year that was beat Purdue. That's a heck of an accomplishment. Even though they were a first-round exit, they're a really good basketball team. So I, I'm never on as much on the must-win bandwagon as you are, um, but, but this would be a heck of a chance to finally kind of Put a map in your tournament resume if you get a W tonight if you're uh, Mike Woodson's team. All right. How do you go about it? Where's the level of importance? Because we talk about all the time, you know, three-point shooting or jump shooting ability and the guards. But I think we can also easily lose sight of what you're going to need down low because you expect to get it on a night-in and night-out basis. However, if you don't get it on a night like tonight, you could get buried, buried really by this Boilermaker team rather easily. And that's frankly what makes those two wins last year all the more impressive is that from a matchup standpoint, it's not a great matchup for Indiana. You know, what has given Purdue fits the couple of times they have lost? Three-point shooting. What does Indiana not do well? Now, again, they're doing it better as of late, but it's just not something that they emphasize as much. Um, Indiana tends to be a pound-the-rock, get-at-the-rim team. What does Purdue have the ability to take away because of Zach Eady? Exactly that. So, Three-point shots are an absolute must and necessity. Doesn't mean you got to fire them up 25, 30 times like so many other teams do, but you've got to be efficient and you've got to you know take advantage of the opportunities you can get uh, if you're the Hoosiers from outside the arc tonight. Greg Rakestraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Crew Potline. I, I've seen this. I actually was talking about this, I, I think, last week in terms of anticipating this game and then brought it up yesterday, and I've seen it also a couple of different times. Does a guy like, for example, C.J. Gunn get more clock tonight because you talk about Smith and Lawyer and Jones and what they can add with those three guards in the backcourt? Does that put more of a premium you think on a guy like cj gunn i like to see cj gunn get more playing time period so that he can help um can be streaky as a shooter but athletically and as a wing defender i absolutely think he can be helping this team so yes the matchup suits him but uh i'd prefer to play him because the day ends and why more than anything else yeah when you look at it too um the xavier johnson in in Six years, you you expect more. That leadership hasn't been there. The play hasn't been there. Most often than not, he's been injured. What do you make of him if he gets you know a substantial opportunity, which is expected later on tonight? Is is this something that could help this team that is highly necessary in your opinion, especially offensively from this group? Of course it is, and this is what you're hoping for him is what coaches at every level of college basketball are hoping for because we're in the in, in this unique window where guys have played five and six and seven years and, and they're supposed to be grown men. And, and, and Xavier seemingly has regressed at times this year for this Indiana team. And again, you know, injuries are one thing, but, but just not acting right or, or, or not playing like such an experienced guy has been such a problem. Um, there potentially is something – for being in a place too long and, and just being tired of the four walls around you and, and getting tired of hearing the same voice. But, frankly, the programs that usually are successful, whether it's high major, mid-major, low major, are getting it done because they've got guys that are fifth-year seniors or grad transfers or grad students that have been there, done that, and had some life experiences. So that's what makes the way that he has stepped back all the more puzzling. Uh, when he's been on the floor so far this year. He's Greg Rexer on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Most often than not, when you bring up Purdue, um, 
especially talking about what you hope to get from them, you talk about their guards. And I just mentioned the three guards in that situation. But at the top of the list, most important for Purdue, it starts with Zach Eady. We know that. But in second place, a runner-up, is it the type of whistle that he gets regardless of the situation? Is that second most important with this team in mind? I honestly, it's it's always important, but I think so much of it now is the maturation of the guards. You know, we talk about some lack of maturity at times from Xavier Johnson. Well, we have seen that maturity from Braden Smith, from Fletcher Lawyer, because the new names that have been brought in uh, by Matt Painter to bolster that guard unit. And so, to me, the most important thing is the tr- the, the difference between the freshman guards that played against Indiana last year in Smith and Lawyer to being sophomore guards playing against Indiana and, frankly, not having to deal with a guy like Jalen hood Shafino uh, from last year. There's, there's not that guy that exists on Indiana's roster. That's important, too. So the caliber of whistle that Zach Eady gets is always important. But to me, the biggest thing in the non-Zach Eady category is, are, are Smith and Laurie going to play like, frankly, we've seen them play all year? which honestly is a very good thing for for, for the Boilermakers and yeah. their fans. One thing you know that's going to happen, Greg, in closing with this, is you know what you're going to get from Assembly Hall. You know the juice this team is going to receive from them home crowd. But you don't know what you're going to get from these guys. And let's start with Mbako, because he has a, a unique game that I think could make a tremendous splash against the Boilers if he can knock down some shots, get that early confidence. Where does he factor in to this game to you as far as IU maintaining contact and possibly upsetting the Boilers tonight? Listen, I think Indiana's going to maintain contact because it's Indiana-Purdue. I think Indiana's going to maintain contact because it's Assembly Hall. Um, and, and there was a, a, a post, I think the guy is the beat writer for the uh, Illini, uh, for whatever the paper is in, in Champaign-Urbana, uh, that you know, kind of notated, you know, hey, what are the toughest home arena environments in the Big Ten? Mackey won and Assembly Hall too. So Indiana's going to maintain contact. If Mbako can play like he has, has, has played more so as of late, Absolutely, he is an X factor. Um, I, I think Renew, I wouldn't say get canceled out, but Renew's game, you think Zach Eady can check him. Mbako's got a little bit more flexibility where he could be a problem for Purdue in the way these teams match up tonight. All right, Butler on the road at Xavier, Greg. 6.30 tonight for the 11-6, and 2-4 and four in the Big East Dogs. And Missouri State and Indiana State. Indiana State 7-0 and at home, coming off a demolition of Belmont. 7 o'clock from the Holman Center later on tonight. A lot of what we thought Indiana State could do in the Mo Valley so far, that's what Indiana State is doing in the Mo Valley. Correct, and I, and I think the loss at Drake is almost a free pass loss. You know, That's the other team that is thought to be on equal footing, uh, and they were the favorite coming in, um, in the Missouri Valley. In other words, you know, I, I almost think Indiana State has to run the table to be a, 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 an NCAA tournament team that isn't an automatic qualifier. Um, and so almost everybody else you play, and especially at home, you have to check those boxes. Um, you still feel a whole lot better if you win three games in three days in St. Louis and not leave it up to the committee. Um, but, but the loss at Drake is kind of one of the few kind of free pass losses you would get. Do I think Indiana State's going to be 19-1 in the Valley? Probably not. 
the league's too good. The road trips are too strenuous. You're going to lose one or two more games likely. But I don't think that really dings the resume of Indiana State. Now it's taking care of business against Missouri State coming up tonight. In terms of Butler, again, what we would say about Butler is almost exactly what we would say about Indiana. Uh, and maybe even more so in the Big East this year. Maybe there's more quality teams atop the Big East than there are the Big Ten. In other words, you've got chances to get important quality wins if you're Butler. But you got to stay on the north side of 500, I think, in league play to be an NCAA tournament team, and and that's the challenge that Butler faces tonight. Yeah, it um, last couple have been uh, certainly. Yeah, I think in in terms of this weekend, and then going back to that UConn game, have been uh, difficult for that yeah. and company, no doubt. You, you make it a heck of a lot. I don't want to say easy on yourself, but uh, you you stay within range by getting this win in Cincinnati coming up later on tonight against uh, Xavier. Greg Rakestraw, he is the sportscaster of the year in the state of Indiana on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Congratulations once again, man. I'm happy for you. You know that. Thank you. I pre- Well, first of all, I always appreciate your friendship and appreciate that. Secondly, will you be in studio tomorrow? Uh, yes, I will. Then I will see you tomorrow night because I am following you on the airwaves of the fan tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. What are you doing tomorrow night at 6 o'clock? So tomorrow night is the start of On the Horizon Radio. Nice. It is a weekly radio show dedicated to the Horizon League men's and women's tournaments that will be here for the semifinals and finals at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum, March 11th and 12th. So I get an hour talking about the Horizon League each of the next nine weeks, seven of those being on Saturday. So uh, there will be part of that cool crossover action at you know, 552 every Wednesday on the program for the next several weeks. Nice job out of you. All right. Thank you. I'll see you in here coming up tomorrow, Greg. Enjoy the night. Congratulations again. Thanks, buddy. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back. Brad Spielberger, pro football focus, top of the hour. Might we see some diva, some elite-level wide receivers want out? And make it a possibility for the Colts. I'm just asking. Just asking. Brad, top of the hour. Noah Eagle on Peacocks. got to call a Purdue and IU tonight. He's coming up at the 5 o'clock hour. Alice Golden are setting the pace, too. Don't go anywhere. 93.5107. the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. I am the cream, yeah. The cream of the crop. And there is no one that does it better. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. James, he's the producer. I'm John. Thank you for joining us. Boy, the Makers Hoosiers round one tonight against 7P. That is the tip from Bloomington 93 WIBC is where you go here for the radio call. Don Fisher, John Herrick, and Eric Soar. Six o'clock again, 93 WIBC. Full recap of that coming up tomorrow. Of course, the pace is a couple of days off and they need them. After the back-to-back losses out west in Denver and then Utah last night, what was it 132-105 or something ugly like that? Colin Sexton's in there until the end, man, padding some stats on you. That's why, you know, all this crap about worried about how you're going to show up this team or the other, you do notice, right? All these teams do that. All of them. 
I mean, just because they dribble it out the 24-second clock at the end, that doesn't mean they're not doing it. Sexton was in there padding stats last night. That's okay. Because the next time the Pacers are in padding stats, I'm going to say it's okay. Now, granted, you're right. Nobody was going to be able to guard him anyway, but he was padding stats last night. I just think you need to look at it that way instead of constantly gnashing teeth and whining about somebody else is doing it. Everybody's doing it. Uh, Noah Eagle uh, Peacock's got the call down in Bloomington tonight. Five o'clock hour. Alex Golden setting the pace. More on the Pacers. Pascal Siakam. So he's going to test the free agent market anyway. See ya. No way. No rentals. Really, no rentals now. I don't want to see any rentals around here anymore. That ship with Halliburton hopefully has sailed. Double back to that conversation in a minute on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Pro football focus, Brad Spielberger is with us. Hello, Brad. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Normally this time of year, there's excitement, right? you got teams that are excited, but you also have incredibly disappointed teams. And here's where I sit right now. I'm being sneaky. I want you to tell me and the folks out there listening that are Colts fans, how many possibilities might there be for an elite-level wide receiver? who has become disgruntled and once out, how many of those opportunities, and maybe it doesn't happen, but just off the top of your head, who might fit that mold right now as we get past the postseason and then into the NFL offseason? I think it becomes more and more common as each offseason goes on, as these players, especially at that position in particular, feel more empowered to ask for shorter contracts, stronger contracts, to um, you know really drive a hard bargain. And you saw you know A.J. Brown obviously forces his way out of Tennessee. Even Debo Samuel, who did get extended, requested a trade. You know Marquise Brown requested a trade. Like you go on and on down the list, you always get someone to come through. So. I would not be surprised in the slightest if T. Higgins in Cincinnati at some point requests a trade this offseason. I almost I almost expect it. I think we'll get franchise tagged. I think conversations will not go particularly well. And I think he will ask for a trade at some point. You know, I don't know if he gets it, but I think that will happen. Then I look to Devontae Adams in Las Vegas. Still haven't gotten done yet there with the head coaching search. If they don't hire Antonio Pierce, I think he's going to ask for a trade. Even if they do, uh, I think he might ask for a trade. So, yeah, I think you're always going to see it, um, depending on the situation of what the quarterback looks like, if the offensive coordinator is not someone the, co- the players typically like playing for, or if they just feel like, hey, I'm a number one, but I'm trapped on a roster where I'm a number two. Like, There's all these different kinds of reasons, and their production and their pay is tied to other people, maybe more than any other position in the sport. Um, and, and so, yeah, uh, long answer short, it's going to happen, and I think it could be a handful of good players this offseason. So Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Yeah, I was thinking last night, I know there have been some reports out there. He was injured, didn't play, but A.J. Brown, maybe. It just it seems like even if you have a good season, it can all go haywire fairly quickly, and especially at that position. These elite-level guys all of a sudden – kind of wiggle free. It just makes me wonder because around here, I think you and I both agree that the Colts are still very short in that particular area. Yeah, I think you need that warm piece there. I think it would go a long, long way. You know, again, they're good there, but are they great there? Do they have a difference maker that can truly elevate the entire offense that also can 
therefore then make the jobs easier for everyone else below them in the pecking order. Like, like T. Higgins, going back to him, is a good example where you saw the flash. You saw he was going to be a good player. He was close to 1,000 yards as a rookie, I want to say, even with you know Joe Burrow missing time there. Well, you drop into Jamar Chase, who sets the record for the most receiving yards by a Bengal ever in his rookie season. And T. Higgins still produces, still puts up 1,000-plus yards, and gets seven, eight touchdowns that second year. But you just saw that, okay, this is really the dynamic we're looking for. And I do think in a similar manner, that would go a long way in Indianapolis. Also, we're talking, you know, trades and veterans. There is going to be a receiver on the board when the Colts are picking that could be a number one receiver on day one of the NFL year next year. This class is is ridiculously loaded uh, in the draft. Well, I was going to ask you that next. What would you think to upgrade in the fashion in which the Colts need to in that area? Is this something where they go directionally to the draft? Do you lean on something in free agency? Because historically speaking, this is not something certainly high dollar that the Colts nor Chris Ballard have thought about doing. Is it a trade market possibility? What What do you think is the most probable option the Colts might take? I think they've shown recently that they want to get these rookie contract receivers in. You know, they obviously have not used the first yet, but 34th overall pick for Pittman, uh, was it 50 for Alec Pierce, and then I think 67 early third for Josh Downs, something like that. Uh, so, so obviously there, there's a willingness to use early draft capital, day two capital on that position. I just sit here and look at this class, and maybe it is still second round, and I still think you could find a difference-making player in the second round. Maybe that's where like an A.D. Mitchell from Texas falls. Um, I think Keon Coleman of Florida State probably is a second-round prospect at this point. Um, but, but, like, in the first round, like, Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU, I think, could be there in the late teens and is a really, really talented player, um, can win deep, can take the top off the defenses. I think he kind of has that, that Justin Jefferson to the Jamar Chase, uh, you know, where everyone's talking about the league neighbors, as they should be. Neighbors is an elite prospect. But Brian Thomas Jr. is very, very good um, in his own right. So, anyway, I can sit here and rattle off names, but – there are players in the, in the top 100 um, that I think come in and make an impact uh, you know, right out of the gate. All right. Did anything surprise you at all about the absolute – because it was already ongoing for a lengthy period of time. Anything surprise you about the complete and utter meltdown that basically put an end to the season as we watched last night Philadelphia on the road to Tampa Bay? You know, the one thing that stuck out to me was they obviously hadn't been executing particularly well. They haven't had an answer to the blitz, and Todd Bowles had a great game plan on that side of the ball. On defense, they've always been struggling all year with, like, you know, giving up big plays, being exposed by slot receivers. But the shocking thing to me was I'm not sure the first guy to the ball made the tackle a single time last night. It was one of the poorest tackling efforts I've ever seen um, for a proud, veteran-led, you know, a team that has a lot of pride in, in every single week. And they had – 17 missed tackles last night per our charting. The most of any team in the playoffs this year, second most going back the last three years. I, it looked like a team that was not motivated, didn't want to be there, doesn't believe in the coaching staff. Like it, it was different than, hey, they're not executing and they're not playing at a high level and they're injured. It was these guys are checked out and don't really care, which I was, I was shocked to see. They made clearly a change with defensive coordinator um, during the season. And then in that first year, uh, offensive coordinator taking the place of Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon, defensive coordinator, went out to Arizona. Coordinator, I should say, went out to Arizona. So is that where we start trying to track down the significant piece that went wrong in the latter portion of this season for the Eagles? It's pretty funny to me. 
Matt Patricia comes in and they play largely lesser opponents and we're worse in every single defensive category statistically. I mean, I'm not sure how many times the guy has to fail uh, for us to know he's not good at it. Uh, like he, he was, he was Bill Belichick defensive coordinator. He obviously was not a secret sauce. He was terrible in Detroit. Uh, like, I, I just don't get it. Sean Desai has been good for a long time. I think on a bad Bears roster was super creative, did a lot of different things to get the most out of his talent he possibly could. I know it hasn't been great. I'm not saying it was going well early on in the year, but that particular demotion for Sean Desai, to replace him with that guy in particular, really rubbed me the wrong way. And I just just don't agree with it. I know I'm not in the locker room or in the building. I don't know the entire dynamic, but it obviously didn't work. I I mean, Patricia, as always, was terrible. Um, and that's why we're having this conversation. Now, he's a reserve guy, and he was that way when he was successful. But when you look as reserved as Jalen Hurts did, he, he looked uh, reserved to a point where he was basically disassociated with everybody on that bench last That was a bad look, and I know it's a, a huge disappointment, and you're going to say, well, you know, how's the guy supposed to look or feel? But that was just a bad look all the way around. He had teammates coming over trying to rattle his cage a little bit. I, I don't know if that's something that the offseason and a reboot of any kind just fixes that simply. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do think he's a guy the team galvanizes around. He was. He was, I guess, like you could have you know, maybe seen him barking at guys and trying to motivate. But you mentioned the A.J. Brown thing. I mean, they're like best friends, have been really close for a long time. There were rumblings of issues there, you know, beyond just the injury. Hurts himself, I think this is where I come to it is, I think Hurts, we're, we're going to hear in the next couple of days, he's getting a, a knee scope or some sort of, a, you know, arthroscopic yeah. surgery in his knee. He obviously the bro, uh, the dislocated middle finger on his throwing hand, like, I think he more was just like battered down, broken, and just defeated. I hear what you're saying. Um, I just, you know, I, the, the, you can't hear enough good things about how, how he is the leader on that team. Maybe you need a little bit more fire and don't always be composed and don't always be, uh, you know, so level-headed. It's obviously good most of the time, but, you know, even Tom Brady was screaming his lungs out sometimes. So I hear what you're saying. That's what comes back to me of like, I, I don't know if there's belief in his coaching staff right now. I, I really don't. I, you know, and I was fair a little bit early, and I said, "Hey, last year that approach, personality-wise, that he had, everybody described as absolutely perfect, calm, cool, collective, calculated, all that." And then, you know, when you're going through an end of a season debacle, as we saw that team going through, it looks completely different on the sideline. Then, no, it's fair. That's a good point, and that's kind of you know the, the funny thing about football in really every respect is like when you're winning, you know, yeah. not to tie to a different storyline, but like. Brian Dable in New York, there's now a new hit piece coming out every, it seems like every morning. He's always been that guy. There's, a, there's an article about how like Colt McCoy had like PTSD from getting hazed by Brian Dable 10 years ago. Um, you know, and people wonder why it took him so long to be a head coach. He's always been that guy. But when they were winning last year and he was getting coach of the year honors, everyone's smiling and happy. And now, you know, they lose a bunch of games. They get injured on both sides of the football you know, are respected and highly touted defensive coordinator, clearly does not like him and forced his way out. And that was an awkward, like, standoff for a couple of days there. It, it is funny where, like, it, at the flip of a switch, like, things can go from so good, you're 10-1, and one, you made the Super Bowl last year, you're, you're a fun young roster, to now, I mean, they've had the worst, week 11 to, to today, they've had the worst stretch of any team in the NFL. It, it really is bizarre. So Brad Spielberger, a PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So people around here, certainly in year number one, everybody here that's a Colts fan, they've, they've loved what Shane Steichen has done. 
How much of what we saw crumble in Philly, especially offensively, was because Shane Steichen took the play-calling duties and brought him as the head coach here in year number one in Indy? It's got to be viewed as a positive. It really does. Because not only the play-calling and the sequencing, which I do think was off, um, you know, but also like the lack of adjustment. I mean, the amount of articles that have been written going back to like the entire year. I, I mean, there was a um, next-gen stats put out a bunch of stats on the Eagles against the Blitz in week two um, and just talked about how you know, there, there were not hot routes in, in the route trees and in the concepts of, hey, if we are going to get pressured, who is the quick out to get the ball, you get the ball to? Um, do you throw into the Blitz? Do you have some sort of outlet or check down for Jalen Hurts? And you saw it again last night. You're watching Todd Bowles with like seven dudes in the line of scrimmage. Obviously, someone's going to come on a blitz. Um, and I do think he had a great game plan. And then all the receivers are 10 yards downfield. No one's even looking at Jalen Hurts. Like it was, it's just the, the lack of adjustment to me. Like forget like scheme of a play or, or, or play sequencing in terms of like, you know, when you go run or pass or play action and all that stuff. But just the lack of adjusting at a fundamental level of like, let's slide the protection, let's keep the tight end in, let's keep DeAndre Swift in. It, it was just it, it happened week after week after week. It was bizarre. So Brad Spielberger, who is with us, I, I want to mention this because this won't make Colts fans very happy. I thought C.J. Stroud was going to be exactly what C.J. Stroud was. I just thought it was going to be later on. I didn't think we were going to see this evolution in his rookie season. How amazing has that been to watch him guide this Houston team? And then what should we be thinking about within the AFC South for years to come, in your opinion? When you look at Houston, you look at, at Levis and, and what I guess they're going to do at head coach at some point here and you know, to see if Jacksonville can ever discover with Ter- Trevor Lawrence any consistency. What's the AFC South look like, including the Colts now, after watching what Houston has done in a dynamic fashion, really, in the past couple of weeks? It, it really is remarkable. Um, you know, no stage too big. I mean, the best defense in football this year and, and absolutely carved them up and continues to look good against pressure, which was always the number one knock on C.J. Stroud. He navigates the pocket well. He manipulates the pocket well to kind of, you know, uh, evade pressure with small sidesteps. Like, it's not like he's running around like crazy. Even a lot of those highlight plays where he is avoiding pressure, it's just one quick sidestep or one quick dance to, to move around from a guy um, he's the best deep passer in the NFL per our grading and, and just per traditional stats on throws 20 plus yards downfield. He has the second best completion percentage, the most passing yards, the most yards per attempt. Like he's, he is already in my mind, a top seven quarterback in the NFL and you always will get adjustments. There are every single, especially in this division, the defensive coordinators are going to watch every single drop back and try to identify weaknesses, find new ways to attack him. And, and it will, I mean, he caused him problems, but I just think the way he wins, he's not going to eradicate his success. Like, maybe they'll find some weak, weak points and weak spots of his game. Maybe he loses Bobby Slowick, his offensive coordinator, which is always tough to transition. But, yeah, I, I don't see a scenario where we don't just view him as now a staple top ten quarterback in the league, as crazy as that sounds. And then for, for the whole division, I think we could be looking at the best division of football in a couple of years. I mean, if the Jaguars write the ship, figure some things out there um, – you know, get the defense in a better spot with their defensive coordinator higher. And then if Anthony Richardson continues to develop in that offense, I think we're looking at three teams. I know Lawrence had a letdown year. I still think he's a, you know, top 10 quarterback in the league as well. Three teams of young teams, a lot of draft capital going forward. 
good cap situation. Jacksonville, not really. But anyway, I, we could be talking about like this gauntlet division in the AFC South in the near future. I'm going to ask you this, and this is before I let you go, uh, related to that hit on uh, Tyler Higby, the Rams tight end, the other night. Um, and now I guess it's been reported that – that resulted in a torn ACL. We know how the NFL now feels, you know, about the the head and the the neck area above the shoulders. Are they going to do anything about the the low hits that we witnessed in that game? And you know, obviously the outcome of the Rams tight end, who's going to have a lot of time in rehab trying to get back for at least the, the midway portion, I would think, to the season coming up next year, maybe earlier than that. But it was a brutal looking hit that resulted in a torn ACL. NFL, do anything about this? To be clear, I'm not saying this to suggest he's dirty. The exact same player had the exact same hit on TJ Hawkinson and tore his ACL and MCL like a month ago. And But unfortunately, I think it's because of the way they're coached. Like you mentioned, they're trying to coach out the high hits out of the game, which we all understand. But the counter is that these guys, yeah, okay, I'm just going to dive at their legs and that'll get them on the ground. And I won't be going, you know, be, be uh, in trouble for going high, defensive receiver, head-to-head contact, all of that. But they talked about it on the broadcast, and Gronk used to talk about it a bunch. Like, I'd rather have a guy, you know, dive at my shoulder or above area um, than, than just take out my knees. And so it, it's interesting. Maybe they do. They keep talking about these hip drop tackles, which I think is kind of a whole, you know, conundrum in, in its own right. I get why the concussions is the focus. It should be. Um, but you also don't want guys just diving at knees. But I, I don't blame the player because that is how they're coached to do it. It obviously was successful insofar as the, you know it, it got a stop, um, but yeah, you, you hate to see it. Do we? Um, is there a solution out there? You think? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I think to a degree, it's a lot of it comes back to launching, right? Like just just like leaving your feet and launching at a, at a, at a you know uh, offensive player. But that to me is where then you open the Pandora's box of the hip drop. So for me, I think why you are seeing so many hip drop tackles, which, you know, people that haven't read up about it or heard about it, it really is just like when a defender grabs a hold of a guy and then just kind of drops and uses his body weight to just bring a guy down with him. And the issue there, why the league is looking at it, is because that's led to a lot of, you know, torn knees and, and, and torn ankles and stuff because they're just pulling down on the guy's lower half. My issue is I, I think if you get rid of that, then I think you are going to see more guys just diving at legs. Like, okay, I'm not hip dropping and I'm not hitting someone in the head. I'm just going to be a torpedo and just dive at knees and dive at hips. So it's hard. It's a very, very difficult thing. At the end of the day, football is a violent game. It's a violent sport. It's unfortunate that these things happen, but it's just the more you litigate out, I think the more you – it's like whack-a-mole, right? Like you, you think you fix one thing and it just springs a leak somewhere else. So Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, with us. Speaking of springing leaks, we saw Dallas, and as we mentioned before, Philadelphia doing just that. Any coaching changes there? And where do you think Bill Belichick ends up? Because logically, it's going to be someplace. And where's Jim Harbaugh going to be in play, in your estimation, after that interview yesterday in, in Southern California? Yeah, so I, I do think we're going to get the Dallas news at some point. You know, the, the, the scuttlebutt all year long had been that McCarthy needed to win a playoff game, maybe even win multiple playoff games. He's obviously won 12 regular season games three years in a row, which is cool. And, you know, they did win a playoff game last year, and everyone's getting on Dak. But that first playoff game, obviously the Niners game was not a good game, but that first playoff game I thought Dak was excellent last year. So 
I, I do think they are going to move on. I, I would expect that firing to happen at some point in the near future. Um, Philly, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> if you asked me before last night, I would say there's no way that would happen. But I, I just saw a team that did not feel motivated to play. So maybe there as well. And then I think Belichick goes to Atlanta. I think that's going to get done there. And then I think, uh, I think Harbaugh and the Chargers is going to get done. It, it sounds like Harbaugh's been humbled a little bit by the process. He, I think, was asking for, like, full control over the ski three-man roster and all of these things that, you know, some of the old-school legendary coaches have had for a very long time. But I think you're seeing more and more across the league. Teams want to go away from that. And, and I think Harbaugh probably tried to get it in Minnesota last year. The Vikings didn't want to do it. And, and I think in L.A., He's going to say, all right, you know what? My brother's in Baltimore. He's never had final say over the roster, and it's going pretty well for him there. So I will relent. I'll work with the GM, um, and I think he's going to be with the Chargers. Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. What are you writing about? So, yeah, we're updating the free agent list to 150 players, and I know I keep making the joke every week. Now the cold season is over. I'm counting on the people. Uh, check all that out. You can see a ton of you know, data information, depending free agents in Indianapolis. And, of course, also the potential replacements, uh, finding this year's Samson Ebicam and, and all those good things. Let me tell you this, Brad. People around here, because it's been such a long time since anything has been won, uh, they rejoice during the offseason. They are going to absolutely pour themselves over your content. You could not have found a better market to be a part of here with free agency. Yeah, I love it. I appreciate it. Yeah, until Because that's how they feel until they start winning again around here. So I'm yeah, sure you're going to get a lot of hits from locals. Good. Good to hear. Good to hear. Covering the draft as well. So it's about that time. All right, buddy. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Highline. Bill Belichick. Come on. You want to see Bill Belichick in like Philadelphia or Dallas or something like that, don't you? In Atlanta. I guess you could forget rather quickly the worst loss all time in Falcons history would have been delivered by by one head coach Bill Belichick. <laughs> with yeah, with our ball, whatever. You watch though, there has been either with the head coach or whatever with the Chargers, they have important top of the line positions that have the highest a level of importance to win games. They have a lot of those positions filled on the team. That would seem to be maybe a sooner rather than later thing. Yeah, I know. He didn't really go with the whole Colts wide receiver disgruntled pickup. He didn't really go where I (laughs) hoped he was going to go with that. And really, I know it's a pipe dream. We all know what's going to end up happening this offseason. It's going to be the same that's happened in all the other offseasons. But I think we all know what's necessary here. You know, what I just mentioned, for example, with the Chargers is necessary around here. Those highly valued skill positions need to be covered. And you think you have that going for you in some spots, but clearly in others, you don't. And by the way, too, with Anthony Richardson in mind, I mean, everybody feels good about it. I'm not suggesting you should not. But the more, the merrier offensively around him, right? 
I mean, I've been saying this for years regardless of the quarterback, but it is even more dramatic now, the need there. Should be. Speaking of drama, you got Purdue, IU down in Bloomington later on tonight. A lot of you, I'm assuming, going down there. I-69 southbound, heading down there. If you're not going, let's just say, for example, if you're not going and you don't have Peacock, 93 WIBC, it's Don Fisher, Eric Soar, and John Herrick, have you? That's right here beginning at 6 o'clock on 93 WIBC. I should say right here. The reason why I say that is because I'm looking literally through the door um, and the window right here to the other side of the hall. That's where 93 WIBC is. You could not have, honestly, what's going on in there with political conversation and such, it could not be more of a difference than what is going on in here. Like, I don't even know. Like, I heard people talking about some kind of caucus, so I have no idea what it is. None. And you know what? How good I feel because I have no idea because I pay such little attention. Seriously, try it sometime. If you get overwhelmed by the political aspect or, you know, if you're just kind of crotchety all the time, maybe that's it. Take a step back from those toxic levels of news and political conversation. And come over here, where we also gripe about a lot of things, too. So, yeah, we'll just meet in the middle. In the middle of the hall right out there. <laughs> this caucus thingy. I'd be really good over there. One of these days, we should just like for a segment, they come over here and do a segment, and then I'll go over there and do a segment. <laughs> Talk about this caucus thingy going on here. Was that a, was that a film back in 1983, Caucus? Quick break, we'll come back. Your calls, I got room for you right here. Noah Eagle going to join us coming up at the 5 o'clock hour from Peacock. Got you covered there with Robbie Hummel on the play-by-play call coming up later on this evening. Noah's going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Alex Golden setting the pace in the 5 o'clock hour. A lot of me and you and your chance at Bush. It's Bush Candlebox and Jerry Cantrell, who has been on this show a number of times in the past, of Allison Chains. That is coming up in August at uh, White River State Park at the lawn there. Just a great facility. Tickets for that and the Golf Expo coming up at the State Fairgrounds as well. Don't go anywhere. 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Dude, most metal ever! 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Sycamore shout out. I got to get Josh Schertz on the show later on this week. Head coach of Indiana State, the alma mater, the love, Terradice, everybody. Terradice tonight for Missouri State. The Bears and the Sycamore, 7 o'clock tonight. The Baby Blues will be rocking over in the Holman Center. Indiana State has been really good so far this year. Damon writes this, Purdue fans do have a radio option tonight in Indy, but here's the problem, Damon. As much I have Rob Blackman on because he's a friend of the show, I don't know if I'm allowed. Like, I don't think down the hall they would dig if I promoted another station. And 
Here's the other part. I guarantee you Don Fisher on Friday would not dig if I promoted the other station. But I think we all understand Rob Blackman and I go back a long way. We have been friends and colleagues. The first sports talk show I ever did, Rob and I did together at the old Champions here downtown. It was actually, I want to say, 2000 and maybe 2002. It was before a Steelers-Colts preseason game. And we did a special Sunday show together. Actually, I take that back. I think it was a special Saturday show because it was a preseason game. I think it was on a Saturday night or late afternoon. But Rob Blackman and I, my first show ever was with Rob. So we have a great deal of history. And Rob Rob has really just been great at whatever he's done. He used to do the Firebirds, remember? Arena Football League team on the radio. I think he did Nashville and their Arena League team for a while and obviously has been doing Boilermaker Athletics for a long period of time. So while Rob and I are incredibly close friends, I don't know if I can do – I can't do that. <laughs> I got, had to promote Don and the broadcast on 93 WIBC or else peoples will get pissed. And we don't want that. We don't want that. I might start talking about caucuses and stuff. You guys want it? Yeah, tell me if you want it. <laughs> I'm sure that you don't. JMV, we've had Peacock for a couple of years now. I originally got it for IndyCar coverage. There's a lot of other programming on there. Jalen and I watch. And by the way, a shout out to J-Dog. We have fiber optic internet and rarely have issues. I don't know. I, I guess I do have fiber optic. Johnson County Fiber, that would, I think, tell you that I have, and it's in my front yard. Guys came up and said, we're going to knife a little trench right here. We're going to knife a trench in your front yard. I say, hey, whatever gets internet, because at the time, everybody was on my hotspot, and everybody was on it. You're playing games, your kids play Robox or Roblox or whatever that crap is. I don't even know what it is. Roblox. Like everybody's screaming and yelling. Did I scream and yell when I played Asteroids? Donkey Kong? I don't know. So, yeah, Johnson County Fiber is my destination right there. And I have had Peacock all but a week, I believe, right now. And we'll soak it up later on tonight. Jeremiah writes this, so I'm not paying for another streaming service. We decided to go to Purdue versus Indiana game. Instead, we're going. Let's go Hoosiers. That's how adamant I am about not getting that service. Instead of buying Peacock, Jeremiah and Melissa are going to the game. Make sense? 239-1070. Thoughts on the game tonight? A little pacer conversation if you want to get into and a lot more. Let's have JR lead off this show today. JR, welcome in. How are you? JMV, how you doing, sir? You sound like you're on the road. Where are you? Uh, I'm in New Pal, actually, right now. Oh, shout out to New Pal right there. Picking up uh picking up my son. He is a sophomore, will be a uh, junior. They're right in the middle of their weightlifting program. They just go at it all year. Oh, is that uh, Coach Ralph's football program right there? 
Yes, sir. Yeah, that's, what, that's what you yes, got to do. You got to do that. Like, and I always give the example of what what Eric Moore has done for so many years, and I'm assuming that's what you got with Coach Ralph in, in New Pal because of of the program and the success. Uh, it's it's year round, and it's got to be everybody pushing in that that direction. And and when you have it, you see it because you have results. If you don't have it, you see it in a lack of results. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great program. I've uh, lived out here many years, and uh, they do a great job. Coach Ralph, all of his coaches, all of the coaches, they do a great job. The boys buy into it, and it's a, it's a fun program to be in, for well sure. Well done. What you got, JR? Oh, just on the Peacock thing, I was going to touch with that. I don't know if anybody else has touched with it, but uh, there's going to have some NASCAR and stuff on the IndyCar, but uh, I got four words. The only reason that I had to get Peacock. Saved by the bell. Days of our... Oh. Days of our lives. <laughs> Saved by the bell. That was four words, though. I was hoping it was four yeah. words. But no, yes, Days of Our Lives. Yeah. Now, have you? are you a uh, decades-long viewer of Days of Our Lives? Yeah, because no. now it's exclusively on Peacock. You're right. Yeah, I can't. Uh, nothing there's anything wrong with it, I can't say that. But my wife has watched it for, oh. whatever, 40 years. So, uh yeah. Yeah, we've had that for, uh, I think, three years that went exclusive on that. And as soon as that happened, so we watch a lot of it, you know. So you got to take the good with the bad. Let me tell you this. I, I had watched it for a number of years, uh, oh, just like you and the friends all around me. And our favorite, I think our favorite part was um, uh, Christian Alfonso, Bo and Hope. And when Hope was in the wedding dress running from Larry Welch and riding on the back of Bo's motorcycle and her cleavage was falling all over the place, that was as close to nudity that we could have ever been to in 1984 with no satellite dish or no cable. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, those those two characters come back from the dead about every two years. So <laughs> it didn't take long it didn't take long to keep up with it. You know, my wife thinks I'm paying attention, but you pay attention once a year and you got the gist of it. Yeah, it, I will. Like, I'll notice the bit of cleave and then I'll get uh, into it. And then when they start dialogue talking and all that stuff. And, you know, once uh, you get the whole smell the fart routine, you know what that is, right? When they pause and go to a break, that's kind of the smell the fart where you. Absolutely. Yes. I, make, I make fun of that all the time. Yeah, that's what Absolutely. they do. Then they go to break right there. So yeah, I've got about I think I got about four different decades of, of knowing what I'm being dangerous with conversation on days of our lives. So right there with well, you. That's all you need. You got it. JR, appreciate your call, man. Great times in New Pal. All right. Take care, John. Yeah, exclusively on Peacock is Days of Our Lives. I think all the old episodes of Saved by the Bell on Peacock too. Uh, Peacock has Purdue and IU exclusively later on tonight. Noah Eagle, who's got the call the first time in Assembly Hall doing a game for Noah Eagle. He's going to tell us all about what he anticipates to be that experience, along with Robbie Hummel. Joining us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, 239-1070. And Michael is next. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, JMB. Thanks for having me. Yep. Sorry about that Days of Our Lives conversation. I didn't mean to... Overlord you on that. I just, yeah, I get kind of lost. When I mention cleavage, I kind of get lost a little bit. My bad. That's uh, all right. Hey, Colt's question. You're talking about yep. the wide receiver help. And I'll just be quick. These aren't really in Ballard's DNA, but do you think there's any likelihood in one he goes after or a premium free agent? Like I know T. Higgins is, is going to be available. He's probably going to be the top, available, top wide receiver available. I think they need to re sign Pittman. 
and they got the cap to go after someone like T. Higgins to get the help, or B, and again, this goes completely against what he believes, is moving up on a sort of blockbuster deal to go get Marvin Harrison Jr., I, I would, and thank you for the call, too. I would suggest that that would have more of an opportunity in a trade-up scenario than I would Chris Ballard going into and diving uncharacteristically into free agency like that. I think trading up would be much more of an option. I had mentioned this. I think you're going to get more of the same, and we'll see. It comes down to winning. However, when you look at it, hopefully there has been a change in philosophy because it should be understood by now. And that understanding should be magnified because of the quarterback that you have. You've got to have more around him. And if that means doing things that you originally didn't necessarily believe in, I'm great for your philosophy. But for the sake of the team, I don't know. You bring in Shane Steichen and you, and you know, Shane Steichen loves Anthony Richardson. Wouldn't Shane Steichen want a change in that philosophy? And I'm not suggesting that Chris Ballard doesn't have it. I mean, by, by years seven, eight, with the lack of results, really, regardless of your quarterback, shouldn't you have a, a bit of a detour at best? In philosophy. Free agency, I'll believe that when I see it. And sometimes I kind of question the value of it, especially in a year like this year. At least what we have seen so far. Now, we'll see if the availability through trades with some of these top guys or maybe a, a couple of these top guys actually happens. Seems to every year. Stuff that we don't see, all of a sudden you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But the the trading up or the falling in love with a wide receiver you believe you can get, I would see that as much more of an option than I would the prior. Derek's at 239-1070 next. Derek, welcome to the show. Hey, it's the Central Bear here for you from last week. How's it going, uh, man? Good to hear from you. Yeah, hey. so, hey, I'm just curious what you think about this. I know you were huge on C.J. Stroud before last year's draft. Yes. Uh, I, I just want to get your thoughts on this, and I'll drop off. Yeah. Remember last year's draft, how they not only had Stroud in the number two slot, but they got Will Anderson at three. They traded to get the three. Yes. I almost think we're of the small market mentality for the for the NFL. I know we have parity with the salary cap stuff, but we're always talking about the same issues every year. Yes. And it's the, you know, issues of wide receiver. And we always have cap money. Yes. And Houston had the guts to make the move. To jump us. I remember I'm sitting at dinner and I see that they trade for the the three and guess what? They got two studs. And while I think Richardson's gonna pan out and be a good player, I think he showed that that's possible. Man, look where Houston is now. Well, I will tell I will tell you this. Hey Derek, you, you, when I see you out again, you have every right to punch me in the throat for saying this. It goes against all of me, my being. <laughs> but Houston did create 
the capital. See, it makes almost vomited saying it. I'm sorry. They did create the capital <laughs> because of of Deshaun Watson and finding somebody that would go that stinking overboard. So that helped them get to that situation. But I think the basis of what you bring up right here is sound, and I especially think you look at it in terms of the impact you have with the Colts team and what you haven't done in the past, you know, what has been your philosophy in the past and what should be simply put moving forward, going for it. I mean, it is year seven, you know, been through seven years of this and going forward and making sure that you have this quarterback that is well represented with weapons around him. It is more important than it has been in forever. So I do agree with you. And and that's what I mean by a change in philosophy. I, I just don't think it's going to come with how you described it. Certainly it can't come to me how Houston ended up dictating those terms of a year ago, but you can. I mean, you can with the draft. You can maybe via free agency and maybe you cross your fingers and the Colts have good fortune for the first time in a long time and something falls their way. All of that, I think, again, to add to, to what you have to back up to build around Anthony Richardson is more important now than it ever has been here. And it's been a totally while. Agree. Yeah. Totally agree. I know you say it every year. It's critical. This is a big year. It is. Uh, I, you, you can throat punch me, though, for me bringing up draft capital. That makes me sick. Ugh. Enjoy the show. Have a good one. Derek, thank you. Draft capital. Next thing I want to say is entertaining loss. You know, that Pacer game was a really entertaining loss last night. Why'd you see Jess Walker got off the bench and actually dribbled? (laughs) That was so much fun. These guys getting the opportunity they deserve. That's exactly how I picture entertaining loss guy sounding. He got out and dribbled the ball. He got some playing time. This looked like the Mad Ants. That's great. Sorry about that. Seriously, draft capital, I am so far beyond it. When it truly does pay off, then maybe I'll eat these words. But until then, not so much. Quick break. Don't go anywhere. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. We're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? It should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. So Mike Tomlin stormed off when asked about his future. Mike Garofalo, that earlier today, talked about A team meeting where Mike Tomlin told the Steelers his players, the speculation about him stepping away is unfounded and he plans on coaching the team in 2024. Came with the loss in Buffalo yesterday. You know, I mentioned this regarding Indiana State too. I have not looked around at at some of these transfer portal fines. I know the situation... Isaiah Swope, I think Castle High School, he went to Southern Indiana and absolutely lit up Indiana State for the Screaming Eagles a year ago. 
And he goes into the transfer portal and ends up at Indiana State. Second in the nation in three-pointers per game is Swope. And nearly four makes from distance a game. Third nationally, total threes made on the season. He has 60. He has been and been having one hell of a season for Josh Schertz at Indiana State. Missouri State at the Holman Center coming up at 7 o'clock tonight. Isaiah Swope has been really good. So, JMV, I get off work to hear your epic, entertaining loss, Rand. It's going to be a great night. I love it. I was really disappointed in myself to talk about draft capital. Gross. It's from Rob, JMV, first IU-Purdue game in 35 years. I will miss the rivalry, just not the same. The rivalry is weird. In the past, and I think part of this, and let's see if you correct me if I'm wrong, there are many IU fans that really do like Matt Painter a great deal. I think it starts right there. I mean, Purdue fans, you know, are always going to be hardcore on IU, but I think that there are a lot of IU fans that really like Matt Painter. It's it's not the same in terms of, you know, what you had with what fan the fan base thought of IU of Gene Cady and then vice versa, what Purdue fans thought of Bob Knight. I still love it. I still love that. I still love the basketball aspect of it. I mean, even if you become a bit disenchanted with the transfer portal and NIL and kind of wonder why. Still love hoops. Still right there with it. It may not be the same. And I mean, hell, there's nothing really that's going to be the same other than my crusty rear end. That's going to be about it. I think I'm the same. I am the same. It's scary how the same I am. <laughs> no, you can't call me the Twinkie. Because I'm like the Twinkie that was created in 1985 is that same Twinkie right now. That's me. Tom's at 239-1070. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it, sir. Uh, I got to go top number one, two, three, and four for me all time. It's got to be Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. Uh, it just doesn't get any better yeah. than that. You and I, are, I think you and I are exactly the same age. So, oh yeah, uh, all of the same, all of the same uh, show references and everything. I just love it. Yeah, but, uh, my, nobody, my nobody made clothes look as good on them than Linda Carter. There's no doubt. <laughs> I mean, it didn't matter what the hell was going on. It looked really good. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so my question is this: You brought up Mike Tomlin. Um, so obviously they 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 put. Uh, not the starter picket in for the for the playoff game, and obviously I don't think it's going to matter for that game. But what does that say to you as a as a person outside that organization that that they chose to go that way with Pickett clearly healthy? Does that mean he's done? I um, <laughs> the guy that had, had I guess got you to that point, but yeah, that's not a ringing endorsement. There's no question about that. So. I, I'd agree. Right. I and listen. I think probably a lot of Steeler fans had questions anyway. You know, maybe you should go a different direction with it anyway. But yeah, that would that would certainly add add to it. But I, I think there's also something you can lean on if you're the coach making that decision of well, we are going to go with the guy that helped us get to where we are 
right now, that he was also the guy to help un- unravel a lot of the things in positionally speaking where you were last night. But, you know, maybe there's that thought. But, yeah, there, there's no ringing endorsement at that position from your head coach with that. There's no question. So I, I guess this actually gets back to your question about the entertaining loss because yeah. for me they fire their their offensive coordinator so you don't know what he would what pick it would look like in a new system but you also you just made a playoff game so your your draft yeah. position is going to be terrible yes so if you're going to try to go a different way you're basically still stuck in the same hell that everybody else is yeah and, and thank you for the call too I got to hit a break I'll come back and answer that on the other side but yeah that's why I think a lot of Steeler fans are ready for a change because they are on a tread mill that Colts fans and Pacer fans believe that both organizations have been on around here for a while as well. Quick break. We'll come back. Thank you for the call. Alice Golden and more coming up next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. We have the Holy Hand Grenade. Yes, of course. The Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. Right. One, two, five. Three, sir. Three. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Brad Spielberger, PFF. Greg Rakestraw, Sportscaster of the Year. In the state of Indiana earlier, podcast 107.5thefan.com. Purdue IU later on tonight. Full recap for you tomorrow. Bottom of the hour, Noah Eagle will join us. Noah's got the call. There are so many different nicknames you know that I want to call it. Um, And I know down the hall, Todd Meyer is cringing in anticipation that I will call them one. However, I won't. Peacock Network exclusively for Purdue and IU round number one tonight. 7P, by the way, Don Fisher's got the call. 93 WIBC, their pregame show is at 6. But Noah Eagle, who's got the call for the first time at Assembly Hall in Bloomington, is going to join us a little bit later on in the hour. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. We'll get to the mess that was Salt Lake City last night in just a second. But all this, Alex Golden of Setting the Pace, who joins us now, all this uh, Pascal Siakam conversation, to me, if if there is no chance of extension, that around here is when the conversation ends. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting point of view. I mean, it's just – if I, I feel like Pascal is just kind of trying to position himself to, to get leverage with the Raptors because he can get more money with them. So I think it's kind of trying to force them a little bit to maybe keep him and re-sign him. But – but, yeah, I think that if the Pacers do end up making this trade, they're not going to offer, I think, what, what people are expecting them to offer in Toronto. And it's going to come down to the down to the buzzers, how I'm, how I'm viewing this, James. I think it'll be like a, you know, uh, about an hour before the trade deadline, maybe the same day, just something like that. Because at that point, if they just let Pascal walk for nothing, that's the same scenario that's happened with multiple of their players the last couple of years, Fred Van Bleak, Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard. So the Raptors really have their backs against the wall. Yeah. They're trying to – Make make more out of this, and I think really they can they can get out of it. But the Pacers have to be smart too, because it you know it is a rental to a certain degree. But at the same time, Pascal Siakam would would really help this team specifically at that four position. And I think the Pacers feel pretty confident in their organization, their coaching staff, and Tyrese Halliburton to at least persuade Pascal Siakam to 
strongly consider re-signing here if they did make that deal. So Alex Golden is setting the pace. I mentioned this earlier. Um, I, you'd, I don't want a, a rental property now for this group. And obviously, I, I don't want one later because I, I want – I want this to be a a destination. I know people kind of laugh about that. I mean, it's Indiana. Destination, what are you talking about? No ocean, no golf, no mountains, all that stuff. But I want it because of Halliburton to be a destination. So not only do I kind of just look side-eyed, for example, at a rental possibility right now, but I look at it further down the road because even further down the road, you expect this group, along with Halliburton, to be more established. I just I want the Pacers to position themselves differently than we have seen most of the time in the past couple of decades. Yeah, I think that if the Pacers did make a trade for Pascal, that would be a little bit different than what we've seen from them normally. Um, obviously, they did make the trade for Tyrese Halliburton, but we can talk about having cap space and free agents wanting to come here and Tyrese making this an attractive place to want to play. But the only thing they really have to show for that is Bruce Brown, who, who got signed to a huge deal. That was definitely more than what, you know. Yeah, nobody knew Halliburton was. was here before earlier this season, though. I mean, truly. Right? Yeah. I mean, this is just the was early stage. This is the infancy of it, right? Of what we're talking I mean, about. I it's still, think it's still early, and I think that – the Pacers kind of are ahead of schedule with Tyrese Halliburton. I think he's ascended so much that, you know, you beat Milwaukee four out of five games in the regular season. You split so far four games with Boston. You split so far with Philadelphia. I mean, do you feel like you're that far away if you're Indiana? I think that, honestly, I think they feel like they're a little bit closer than I think a lot of people realize. So there's no reason to rush into anything. And I don't think if they were to make a trade for Pascal Siakam, that necessarily means that they're rushing. But I just look at if they had a guy like Pascal Siakam on this team that could play with Miles and with Tyrese, there's a way that I could see them making it to the Eastern Conference Finals this year if everything clicks right. And I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where you don't want to put the cart before the horse. But at the same time, uh, you really have to kind of figure out, okay, when are they going to have an opportunity to go out and get somebody and have that cap space? Because – they're going to end up having to pay some of these younger guys bigger contracts here within the next three to four years. And this might be a small window to get Pascal in a, in a contract. Maybe that's close to a max. I don't know exactly what that deal would be, but just because if they traded for Pascal and re-signed him doesn't mean that he has to last that entire four-year contract either. They could flip him too before it, it expires. So I, I think that there's optionality still, but um, right now I think that they're in a spot where they're playing really good basketball. Do you really want to mess things up? I, I listen. There's nobody that wants to win in the now more than me. Nobody out there. But I, I don't think that you go into this without assurances. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and and, and right. that's hard for me to say because a lot of what you just said makes sense. I, I just don't happen to think they're that close to that. Even with Siakam and and without assurances. I, I just can't do because you could really screw this thing up. Well, and what, in what ways are you saying they could screw it up? Are you saying that they were to trade like a Jairus Walker? I, no question. 
No, well, yeah, I mean, I mean well, I'll take this back too. I'll take this back because a lot of what I also read has Benedict Matherin as a part of it. In no way, shape, or form do I want him involved. I mean, if it's if it's like what normal Pacer fans, Alex, I guess would say is, well, if you can trade, you know, Buddy, and you can throw in this guy and and guys that they like, no doubt, but they don't really care or aren't as deeply invested as they are with others on the team. Then, if it can work out like that, then so be it. But to me, the only thing that makes a lot of sense is also what Toronto gets in return for doing this. And I just don't see them jumping at a lot of these deals that make Pacer fans right now want to jump and dance. Yeah, I mean, the Pacer fans are not going to throw anything you know, that they feel is worth value to Toronto because they feel like it's such a rental. Yeah. But Toronto's not going to just let Pascal Siakam walk because the thing is, even if they don't find a trade they like, at the deadline, they could always do a sign and trade in the off season. So they have options. It's not like Toronto sitting there like, Oh, we have to make a deal by the deadline or we're going to lose them for nothing. And no, they, they have options. I still think and and Pascal wants to be there. That's pretty obvious from, from everybody I've talked to and everything I've heard. Pascal wants to be in Toronto. Like he really loves that organization. And it, it feels like to me that they're just really kind of stuck between, do we want to bring him back? He's 29 years old. Or do we want to kind of embrace this youth movement with Scotty Barnes and R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly? So that's that's where it's interesting. But, yeah, I mean, the Pacers right now, Jairus Walker, at this point, it, he's not getting significant playing time. He's 19, 20 years old. He's got a lot of potential. And I understand that you don't want to trade away a guy that you have team control of for the next seven years for four months of a guy that could maybe help you get into the second or third round of a playoff series but not ultimately get you to where you want to get to. So, I understand the concerns with that, and I think Ben Matherin is completely off the table. I think they would be more open to listening to Jairus Walker trades just because uh, Pascal would be playing the same position as him. But uh, I, I do know that Toronto, from from people that have reported this too, that they really like Andrew Nimhart. And so if Andrew Nimhart is the best piece they can get back by the deadline to to get you know to move off of Pascal Siakam do the Pacers really allow Andrew Nimhard to kind of be what holds them up for making a deal like this? I don't know if they would or not, but I know they like Nimhard. He's on a good deal. But at the same time, you can make the case that he's been, you know, worse than TJ McConnell this year overall as the backup point guard. So uh, it's it's a really tough conversation because I just feel like Pascal Siakam is so good. And people here, I think, are probably a little bit underrating what Pascal would bring to this team because you're talking about an all-NBA forward that Phil's position of need this team has not had in, I can't even tell you the last time they had a power, like Thad Young, but he's an all-NBA player that like Thad Young. So it's just, it's a tough spot. I, it's uh, Alex Golding said the pace. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I get what you're saying. I am. I just think that a lot of Pacer fans have probably seen more about Matherin in this mm. in what Toronto would want than anything else. And I think that's where everybody mm. balks. I'll, I'll give you a great example. Uh, this Pincus guy, right? If it's Buddy Hill, yeah. Bruce Brown, and a first-round pick, for, I'm, I'm doing that now. I will yeah, do that yeah. right now. But I'm yeah. not doing anything that involves Matherin, and I would be – it's not a deal-breaker, but I would be skeptical to do anything still that involves Walker just because mm-hmm. of his age. But I would do if, – if this Pincus guy is anywhere in the neighborhood, I would do something like that. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, let's be honest here. If it was only Buddy Hill and Bruce Brown for Pascal Siakam and that would get the deal done, 
That trade would have been done three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's true. That's that's true. That's <laughs> that, very there's true. There's a reason why. Yeah. I think that might be like the Pacers' first <laughs> offer. Like, okay, we'll do this for this. They're like, yeah, well, we well, want to. Well, and that, I bring that up too, Alex, because that's that's. That's what you see. Your Pacer fans, it's just like any trade that you want to make for the team that you love. It always has you giving away something easy to part with and getting, you know, you know, getting back just great return on investment. And that normally is not reality, as you stayed right. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember, like, it's negotiation tactics. Like, what's being put out there for everybody to hear? is to get people talking. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's what's actually happening behind the scenes. Sure, maybe the Raptors did call and ask for Ben or Jarrett, and the Pacers probably said, okay, uh, you know, we're going to hang the phone up on that one. You know, that's not going to happen, and that's kind of get, get what gets put out there. So it's like I, I don't really know what the exact deal would look like. I mean, everybody was shocked when the Pacers got Tyrese Halliburton. I think that's kind of how you have to look at this. It's like the Kings for, for weeks and months up to the deadline said that Halliburton and Fox were off the table. They were going to rebuild around them. And then all of a sudden you see a trade happen when the right deal comes in, but nobody thought Sabonis was really on the move. Everybody kept expecting Miles Turner to be the guy. So I think that, you know, you just kind of have to sit here and wait and, and it'll all play out. I do think Pascal Siakam is traded by the deadline. I do feel like Indiana is the favorite to get him, but I think that it might be uh, a deal that maybe people aren't expecting to happen. But uh, in terms of like the players that are involved, I think it could be a little bit different than people realize. And I, I just, I don't know. I think the Pacers want to win a little bit more than, than maybe fans are were expecting, I guess, at the beginning of the year, because, at this point, I mean, with Tyrese Halliburton playing the way that he's playing, it, it does feel like this team is is in a much better spot than they were just even a year ago. Well, listen, winning right now—that's what I. If you listen to a moment of me, that's that's yeah. what I want because I make fun of entertaining losses and trade value and yeah. draft capital and all that crap. I, mm-hmm. I just don't want them to hose themselves, and I, I would want. There are some deals out there. I just gave you the easy one, right? But there are some out there where you would absolutely have to have some reassurance that this guy is going to return and, and be a part of this. And maybe you're right. I mean, maybe you get here and you play and you go, oh, wow, you know what? I really like it here. I think I'm going to stay. I'm going to make this home. But there's also the opportunity where you get a lot of money someplace else and you like where you're going someplace else more than here. I just, I just, I, I would want to make sure that if you're making this investment for some of these guys and again i always bring up matherin and maybe he's not going to be a part of it but you see his name still all the time i wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole this way no no i don't don't think matherin's going to be involved in any any trade this season um i'm still kind of monitoring the fit with matherin just in terms of how he fits in with tyrese because it was you know it wasn't great early on in the season when he was starting next to him and it was trying to figure things out. I think just the whole start, entire starting five, just really we're, we're trying to figure each other out, but they ended up making that move to put Buddy Hill back into the starting five to give them the spacing they need. And, and Matherin really has thrived off the bench with, uh, with TJ McConnell. And it's because he can kind of be the focal point offensively where when he's playing with Tyrese, he has to be, kind of be the secondary guy. And so far it hasn't really like, he hasn't really proven that he can do that yet. It's still really early in his career. So I don't think, the paces are going to punt on that anytime soon, but you can just tell where it's a little clunky at times with those two, just trying to figure things out. But, you know, overall, I think Mather has really grown as a shooter this year. I think he's shooting 40% from three and like catching shoots. He's gotten better at, and I know that's something they're trying to preach for him to get better at. So yeah, I don't think they're moving him, but 
you know, Brian Winhorst said this, and I and I agree. Like the Knicks making that trade for OG and Anobi, right? Like they had to have a wink, wink deal with OG and Anobi. Like you're going to re up here with us. You're not going to opt out of the player option and leave us for nothing. Uh, or if he was, and there was no like, you know, gentleman's handshake or a wink, wink behind the scene. Like you know, they don't they don't make that deal where they're trading two huge assets and quickly in Barrett. So I think if Indiana did make a trade for Pascal and they let go of maybe a Jarris Walker they would have to have a wink-wink agreement with Pascal Siakam you know, before they made that deal hey, because there's yeah. no way you can do that without it. Hey, Alex, so Nick just sent me this message via X, and he says, Jairus Walker is terrible. He was a bad pick and is wanting him to be traded. I Honestly, other than the fact he doesn't get meaningful, and I mean meaningful moments in games type of clock, that's the only aspect that I see. I mean, I don't see him being terrible. I just don't see how we're really able to gauge it other than, all right, should you not be, as a lottery selection, getting more time and more valued minutes than you do? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. I don't think he's terrible by any stretch of the means. I just think that he's really young, and he really has a long way to go in terms of development. And that's my only big hang-up here is, like, are the Pacers willing to wait for him to develop into what they want him to be over the next four to five years, or are they ready to start pushing forward and winning more now, which we've talked about? And is Jarrett going to be up to speed and is Carlisle going to trust him enough to play him? You know, still, even in the game last night against Utah, he still had some gambles that Rick Carlisle wants him to not do as much. And it's, it's just a learning process for a young guy. But I did think it was interesting. You have three starters down in, in last night's game against Utah. There's 15 guys on the roster and, and that are playing on the 15-man roster. He's basically the 14th man in the rotation right now. I yeah. mean, it's, yeah. it's tough. And I and I think that, you know, Obi Toppin has played pretty well, especially off the bench. I feel like he's done a really good job. So I just keep thinking to myself, if for some reason Pascal and Obi Toppin aren't – or excuse me, not Pascal, if Jarris and Obi aren't involved in any trade for Pascal Siakam – and then you bring Siakam here. Where is the playing time for Jarrett's head in that point if you've got Obi Toppin on the roster still too? So I don't know. I just I feel like at this point he the Pacers were really active and looking to trade that seventh overall pick when they had it. I mean, we heard their names a ton looking to get better. Now, I don't know if they really wanted to go all in for a draft pick, but uh, that's all just rumors and hearsay. But I, I still think they believe in Jarrett's. They don't want to just throw him away in the first year without really seeing what he can do. But I'm, I'm just a little bit skeptical on how long they're willing to wait for him to develop and if he can catch on quickly and fit in with this team right away and help them start winning. This is going to sound really bad. It's almost like a, a backhanded compliment here. And Alex Golden setting the pace joins us. But it is amazing to witness how boring the Pacers have become without Halliburton. They're boring as hell yeah. without him. Yeah, it's a tough watch. I mean, like, yeah. the game in Atlanta was fun because they were hitting everything. But if they're not hitting everything, it's tough. I mean, they, they played all right in Denver. It, it was competitive. They had some nice moments there. But, you know, they just couldn't hang with Denver towards that, you know, the end of the third, beginning of the fourth, and then just kind of got away from them. But last night was the toughest watch I've seen in a long Woo, time. Man, it was. You got me, uh, you, you're not lying. Yes. Yeah. Asking fans to stay up late for that game was tough. I mean, I did it. I was very <laughs> regretful this morning. Well, we're nerds, we so we do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, recorded a podcast after I was hopping in bed around one o'clock. I didn't I do that, myself. but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was not worth it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, thankfully they have two days off, and hopefully they can get healthy. Like when you're not having Bruce or Aaron out there, and yeah, Nimhart has really struggled. I hate that. I hate to say it because I really like him, but he has not played well. 
had a lot of injuries this year. It's just, I don't know, this this team with that Halliburton, man, he is definitely the engine that makes that car run. And when he's down, you feel it. He makes everybody, I mean, everybody else better, Alex. And then he gives you 25. He gives you 25 yeah. a game and makes everybody else better. I mean, it is incredible, and we're seeing that real life. Hey, man, I'm going to get you back on for an extended period of time. I do have to run here, but uh, tell everybody about the podcast and what you got up there right now, buddy. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, just check us out, setting the pace, the Pacers podcast, wherever you get your podcasts out. We got a lot of stuff coming up. We're pretty much a daily now. So Monday through Friday, have episodes for you guys recapping a lot of games and just covering the team in general. And we, Got a lot of content on Siakam if you want to hear some deep dives and other people's opinions besides uh, mine and my co-host, Mike Focci. But uh, I also have a blog that I started called theblueandgolden.substack.com. It's free of charge. Uh, there is an option if you do want to you know, be a paid subscriber just to help support me out. But no pressure on that. Just try to do uh, you know, game recaps, that kind of thing, point out some film every once in a while, and just dive in a little bit deeper in some written work. So that would be awesome if you guys would like to check out my work at theblueandgolden.substack.com. I'm really happy for you, brother. You know that, man. We'll keep doing it. Keep on keeping on. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. Alex Golden setting the pace on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Noah Eagle of Peacocks got the game tonight in Bloomington. He joins us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. Well, we're waiting. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Joining us down the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Now, obviously, big one down in Bloomington later on tonight. You can see this exclusively on Peacock. He and Robbie Hummel had the call. And uh, let me go ahead and tell you the only reason why I have Peacock is for Noah Eagle, who joins us now. Did you know that? That's the only reason. I subscribed last week, and I had you in mind all the way. Can you can you tell my bosses that maybe get my paycheck up a little bit? That'd be great. Yeah, well, if I was going to tell your dad that. I, that'd make your dad <laughs> yeah. feel good. <laughs> yeah, direct the pocket would be awesome for me. <laughs> I was going to tell him that for sure. All right, I want to start right here. So, how long have you been in Bloomington in preparation for this? Got here yesterday, so uh, I'm feeling the effects of whatever wind chill it is right now. It, it is legit yeah. for whoever is is really not braving the elements. I respect you more because I wish I could just stay inside. I've walked around. It's my first time in Bloomington. So I was like, I got to get a feel. And then five minutes and I'm like, all right, I got a feel. <laughs> it is. Now, where'd you eat? Did you go in, into one of the uh, the noted haunts in Bloomington while you were there? No, not really yet. You know, I, the, the one that was recommended to me above all here was Buffalo Louie's. I've heard yes. that it's outstanding. And so I... At some point, either tonight, maybe after the game, part of me thinks that that's the that's the move. But uh, that was the number one recommendation. Yeah, so at some the, point, I'll make my way. That's there. All, I think the Buffalo owner has a, a daughter that plays against my daughter in eighth grade girls basketball. <laughs> you want me? You need me to talk some trash? Yeah, let me yeah. know. I'll, I'll, say the, I'll do what you got to do. Say, uh, have you played that girl named Laney at Center Grove yet? And uh, did, was she an ass whipper, or, <laughs> yeah. or was she the one out yeah. there that was broke as a joke the entire time? Which one was it? <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. No, I love no Buffalo Wings is uh historically speaking down there one of the go-tos without question. And this this is one of the go-tos. How special is it for you to be a part of this? You obviously Robbie Hummel's been a part of of them both on and off the floor, but how special is this later on tonight for you? Oh no, it's going to be unbelievable. You know, my dad has done a lot of games at Assembly Hall and he told me that it is 1000% one of the best environments in college basketball and I think growing up a huge fan of the sport, you know, you remember historic moments. I mean, the, the one that sticks out to me, and certainly not Purdue, Indiana, but, of course, the, the shot against Kentucky, Christian Watford, three ball at the horn, and, and just the energy in the building. And so I, I think that is probably in the back of my mind of what we could see tonight just because of the stakes, you know, and then obviously with the rivalry itself, I think back to some great moments of it. I think back all the way to Bob Knight and then all the way through then in my youth when Robbie was playing. He was telling us stories about that this morning. So I'm excited to feel it myself because I know the history that's gone into it. I mean, they played 217 times. When you play anybody 217 times, you're going to have something there. And they clearly have more than just something. They've got something really special. So to, to feel it, to be there on hand, firsthand, is going to be really cool. He is Noah Eagle. He's got the play-by-play call. He, Robbie Hummel, on Peacock. The reason why everybody here has subscribed to Peacock in the last week is because of Noah, and this game certainly he's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I don't think, Noah, honestly, and you're going to get a heavy dose of this tonight, again, provided that IU plays, and they have been good at home. They have been horrible on the road, but there is no greater, between these two teams, really, I mean, whether you're Mackey Arena, West Lafayette, or in Bloomington, there is no greater home court advantage than you're going to see at Assembly Hall later on tonight for an IU team that is not up to the consistent level of high play of Purdue, but one night in Bloomington on a Tuesday in that atmosphere, that can be a difference maker, and that's one of the courts around college basketball that can be just that. Yeah, and it feels like that's the key in all of this. It's the greatest equalizer, and I think we saw that early in the year against Kansas. They had Kansas on the ropes, and that was a great game that went down to the wire. Kansas ekes out the win, but, you know, Kansas is one of the best teams in the country, and Indiana looked like they were right there with them in terms of talent, in terms of intensity, in terms of everything in that game. They had them, and so I think the the same principle goes here. Again, it's the number two team in the country now with Purdue dropping down this week in the rankings. But, of course, with the rivalry, of course, with the familiarity with these two teams, you know, these two coaches – both at their alma maters, which I love. You know, I, I, it's one thing to have the rivalry, and it's great, all that. When you've got a guy who played at Indiana and played in the rivalry, and you've got a guy who played at Purdue and played at the rivalry, and now are coaching it, it just means that much more to both of them. So there, there are all these added layers. But to your point, Indiana's been great at home this year. The only loss was to that Kansas team, so they're 9-1 and one at Assembly Hall. They've struggled on the road. I saw it last week. I did the game at Rutgers, and – just as they struggle to keep the ball, you know, they turned it over a ton and missed free throws, but you, you kind of eliminate those mental mistakes, those very curable issues, and they could have won that game. And so, and that was what Mike Woodson told me last week, and I'd imagine as we get ready to go to shoot around today, he's going to do the same thing, but basically say, look, last year and this year on the road, a couple bounces, a couple eliminations of mistakes, mental errors, and we win those games, and it's a completely different story of what the season looks like. I think it's the same deal. You know, right now, one and two in true road games, but 
it doesn't really tell the story of, of the type of team that they are, in my opinion. I think that they're capable, and as long as they take care of their business at home, all you need to do is steal a couple road games here and there. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to take care of your business at home, steal a couple here and there, and you get into the dance, and that's all you can ask for. Get into the dance, and then we know that chaos ensues from there. So they're more than talented enough. They're plenty talented to match up with this Purdue team, and they're one of the few teams that has legitimate size to go up against Zach Eady, which I think is important. So, Noah Eagle of Peacock later on tonight, 6.30 pregame coverage, 7.00 p is that tip time from Assembly Hall in Bloomington, that is Purdue and IU. You mentioned the difference between on the road and at home, and there has been a huge difference for IU, and you also talk about the – eliminating the mental errors and you saw one of that Rutgers game with Xavier Johnson that a six-year guy you just can't do and since that point in time he's seen a lot of bench time they got a win on Friday and then Purdue got a win at home against Penn State coming off a loss of their own last Tuesday night on the road in Lincoln Nebraska it seems like this is a great time if you're going to have a January game to have these two heated rivals meeting on one of the coldest days so far of the year in Bloomington, Indiana. It just sounds perfect, college basketball-wise. It just, yeah, it just feels like a Big Ten showdown, yes. heavyweight showdown right. in a lot of ways. Like it, it has all the makings of it, which I think is huge. I do think the Xavier Johnson storyline is fascinating. You know, obviously, he came back with the intention of being a leader on this team, with the intention of finishing his college career on a high note, and what happened the other day when, to your point, he was on the bench for the majority of the game against Minnesota and what was a really nice win for this team, I actually think it had less to do with him. You know, I think the initial idea of not starting him was a lot of what happened last week at Rutgers, but I think it had less to do with him and had more to do with Gabe Cups and the great defense that he played. You know, he didn't go out there and score, but he had a couple rebounds. He wasn't shy, so the defense had to honor him, and he played some stout defense. And I think Mike Woodson's been, been willing to praise Gabe Cups and the job he's done as a freshman to go out there and kind of just play with no fear. And so I'm curious because this is different, right? Minnesota was a great team. They've been playing really well, and they've been at the top of the conference for a reason. But this is Purdue, and this is Purdue, Indiana. And in a game like this, experience does matter because you know what to expect in a heated rivalry game. And Xavier Johnson has been with this program now for a couple of years. He's played in this rivalry before. And even before that, when he was at Pitt, he played in rivalry games. So he knows what that's all about. Versus Gabe Cups, look, he's played in big games, certainly through his youth in high school, as has every guy on both these teams. But he hasn't played in this game yet. And I think that is a difference. So if Xavier Johnson can get out there and whatever minutes he's given play well, I think we'll likely see more of him. You know, Trey Galloway is going to have to be big for the Hoosiers. And on the other side, look, we know Zach Eady is going to be Zach Eady, even when he has an off day. He still can have a, a rough day at the, the office, so to speak, and still go out there and give you 17 and 12. So I'm not worried about his production. He's a walking double-double. I think that the key every game for this Purdue team is Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. I mean, they've taken massive steps forward this year as sophomores, massive steps. And I think that's what has – really raised the ceiling of this team overall and probably raised the floor if we're being more realistic. But if they're going to go out there and they play the games that they've had in big games so far this year, think about Fletcher Lawyer against Arizona, Alabama, you know, or not Alabama, but Arizona, and earlier in the year he had a couple big games in big moments. And then Braden Smith 
it feels like always is meeting the moment this year. If they do that, that's what makes Purdue extra dangerous versus an IU team that's going to need to get contributions from pretty much everybody. He is Snowy Eagle. He's got you covered on Peacock later on tonight with Robbie Hummel with Purdue and IU from Bloomington round number one. You are so right about Fletcher Lawyer, too. I was talking, Rob Blackman's a friend of mine, the voice of the Boilermakers on the Purdue Radio Network, and I had mentioned to him, I, I, I feel that Fletcher Lawyer is, like, to me, the biggest gauge Purdue has when he plays at his best this team is I think the best team in the country when he slides down and maybe his offense or lack thereof affects him on the defensive end then I think that's where Purdue finds some of their struggles I don't think you find a greater gauge with a a really great team like Purdue than what you get in Fletcher Lawyer night in and night out when he's really good that team is really good completely and and look it's Obviously, it's going to be him shooting the basketball well because when he's shooting the three ball well, it opens up everything for him. So that's that's the first part of it. It's defending well. It's doing a little bit of everything. I think the biggest key for them is keeping him 100% or as close to 100% healthy through the season because we know he's not necessarily the the strongest guy on the floor. He's a little slight, 6'4", and he's every bit of 180 he can get to. You know, And so I think that was probably a lot of the issue last year was as they got down the stretch of his freshman season and they needed him to be a big-time player in some big-time moments, he just wasn't at his best physically. And so I think he's already better. He's already learned from that freshman year experience. But, no, 100%. When he plays well, this team plays well. And when he plays poorly, other guys now have to step up. And, look, that's why they're a good team because they have guys that are capable. Obviously, Lance Jones now on the team this season has made a difference. Mason Gillis is still a great energy guy and can hit a three and can make things happen. Miles Colvin can have his moments now and has really found a little bit more of a rhythm as a freshman and, and has done a good job of just kind of staying ready when his number's been called. But when you've got number two rocking in a game, it just makes a massive difference for what this team's ceiling looks like. And so this is a, a really good test for him, and it's a really good test for Braden Smith. Tough environment on the road. You've lost three of four to Indiana. Like this is a big game for Purdue in a lot of ways. And if those two guys show up, it's going to give their team the best chance to win. It's uh, Noah Eagle with us. I agree too with IU. I think Mbako, especially at home, the freshman Ooh. is such a big deal. And you know, you think about those three out of four wins for IU. So much of that directly involved the mere presence of Trace Jackson Davis. And while they have really good big guys in terms, certainly of college basketball at the highest level, Trace just he required so much focus on that other team and that yep. is that obviously you're going to miss somebody like that that's why you're looking for somebody like Mbako the freshman who has shown you he can be a top level scorer really needs to be later on tonight yeah I think that it goes without saying it's impossible to just replace Trace Jackson Davis he did so much on the floor like there's there's guys who are stars for their team because they're great scorers or they're great defenders, or they're great rebounders. He was packaged into one. He did everything. His fingerprints were all over the game. So now you have to, it's like Moneyball, the movie. You have to replace him in the aggregate, right? You have to kind of find different pieces that can do all the same things that he could just do singularly, which is hard. But I do think Mackenzie Mbako is starting to come into his own now as conference play rolls on. And the biggest thing that you hear from Mike Woodson, and even when we talked to Matt Painter, 
was his defense has just improved. And I think that was what was keeping him off the floor maybe a little bit early because we know how talented he is. You're not a top 10 recruit in the country unless you're uber talented. And you're probably a great offensive player because all kids now really focus offensively more than anything. Like It's not sexy to be a great defensive player in the AAU game or in the high school game eventually. It's enticing for programs to see guys who can do a little bit of everything with the ball in their hands. Can they handle? Can they shoot? Can they get to the rim? Can they get to the free throw line? Well, Mbaco can do all that. So that was never a question. The question was always going to be how is his toughness and how is his defense? And that's what's improved the most. And now that opens up your offense because you're staying on the floor. You can get into a rhythm. You can kind of let the game come to you. And he's aggressive. And I like that out of a freshman. I like that out of a guy who maybe didn't start the year exactly like he expected to. But now he's up in double figures on the season, 10.2 points per game. He had a career high, obviously, against Minnesota, 19. And he's shooting the lights out from three. And they need that desperately right now. They need guys who can make open threes. So Mbaco clearly isn't scared of the moment. This game feels more so that it's going to have to be a big one from Khalil Ware just because of what you've got on the other side. I think Mbako is going to have to be big almost every night in a sense, but he's not going to have to put up 19 a night. He just has to play well. He has to make open shots. He has to remain aggressive and look to get his teammates involved, do all the little things he's been doing along with the scoring. But Khalil Ware to me, look, he's clearly taken a step forward as a sophomore now versus what he was at Oregon as a freshman last year. But 15 points, 9.6 rebounds per game. That's where he's at right now. Just based on his size and skill, just based on what he looks like moving forward as a prospect even, even if it's not at IU and it's in the NBA, he's so skilled, he's so impressive. This is a guy that should have the capability to dominate any, any kind of night. And to me, if you want to prove to NBA scouts that you should be a first-round pick, that you should be a guy that a team takes a chance on, what better way to prove that to go up against the reigning national player of the year in Zach Eady and win the matchup? And, and that's what I'm looking. What's the mentality out of him? Is he remaining aggressive? Does he take it personally? And if he does, that's where I think Indiana can be at their best tonight. Has uh, Hummel told you anything about the matchups, either broadcasting it or playing in it? <laughs> he said especially. It's, it's actually, I didn't realize that this is his first time broadcasting this game at Assembly Hall. He's done Purdue, Indiana yeah. at Mackey. So he's never broadcast here. So I'm really more focused on <laughs> What is said to Robbie Hummel? And do I get to join in on all the people in Bloomington that are going to absolutely destroy him? Which I think I will. Yeah, I are, you, are you going to roll some tape? You're going to roll, since you're a friend of this show, can you roll some tape? We'll play it back. I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, a little sneak record. Oh, man, it should be fun tonight. That's, that's a, Now, is this your first time in Assembly Hall doing a game? It is, which is pretty Holy pretty crap. amazing that this would be the first one. Yeah. Well, it's um, it, it is incredible. I mean, I grew up, you know, around the Bloomington area, and um, I didn't attend IU. Went to Indiana State, but still, I, I know the legend of it. I've uh, been a part of many games. You mentioned the Kentucky IU game. I was obviously there for that. I was there for a lot of things over the years, and it's a hell of an environment. And it's just like we'll probably see later on this year. I don't know if you're doing the Purdue uh, IU rematch, but Mackey Arena is uh, as good as as advertised too with that home atmosphere. So yeah, you're going to be in for some fun tonight Noah you will oh I can't wait can't wait to uh to tip this thing off and let it rip so we'll have fun don't get out of town without Buffaloes man and tell the owner I said hello 
<laughs> I will. I will. That's a promise. No, I appreciate you, man. Have a great broadcast. All right. Thanks for having me. It is uh, Noah Eagle right there, uh, Peacock. The reason why I went out and got Peacock was for Noah Eagle, friend of the show right there. He, Robbie Hummel, have the call tonight. And again, 7 o'clock is when they're underway down at Assembly Hall in Bloomington. Noah Eagle on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Quick break, a lot more for you. 93.5107 by the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Ride with JMV. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back, and man, what a night this should be. Yeah, round number one. Purdue IU down in Bloomington, and a shout-out to Noah Eagle, who's got you covered. Peacock, both he and Robbie Hummel. That is a 7 o'clock start, 6.30. I think they have a pregame. Now, 93 WIBC has you going on. That's Don Fisher and Company. 6 o'clock, your coverage begins, and then at 7 o'clock, you're officially underway. Number 2, Purdue at 15-2 and two, and 4-2 and two in the Big Ten, coming off a home win over Penn State this past Saturday and 12 and 5 in need of a tremendous resume builder. If you're thinking at all about the month of March in the NCAA tournament, this would be something for the Hoosiers. They're also in the conference 4 and 2. Once again, the Simon Scott Assembly Hall at tip time tonight is at 7 o'clock. By the way, I think there's only one other Big Ten game going on tonight. That's number 11 Wisconsin, which is 5 and 0 oh in the Big Ten. And I don't know if you ever call Wisconsin any longer basketball-wise a surprise, but they are playing stylistically. It looks different than it ever has up there. And 13-3 and and 5-0, and it is absolutely working. The Badgers and the Nittany Lions tonight, that's a 9 o'clock start. That's a Big Ten Network game coming up later on this evening. Obviously, no Pacers tonight, a couple of days off, and they need it. The back-to-back that we had talked about that was going to be difficult even with Tyrese Halliburton, going to be difficult even with Aaron Neesmith, going to be difficult even with the addition of Bruce Brown. And when you don't have those three and you're playing the back-to-back in Salt Lake City after losing in Denver the afternoon before, that is highly problematic, and that's exactly what you witnessed last night. That It's funny. I was talking to J.J. Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports Indiana during the game last night, and we both said, hey, this is kind of exactly what we expected. And as we talked about, it wasn't going to be anything like what we saw back on November the 8th because the Jazz, a different team, and this Pacer team, second of a back-to-back, without a lot of bodies, you had guys in foul trouble, you had Benedict Matherin going out. There was just a lot going wrong for the Pacers, and you knew they were not going to be able to withstand that. And you saw a lot of guys you wouldn't normally see getting a lot of clock late in that game, late in the fourth quarter, for example. And uh, it uh, was not a good night for the Pacers, to say the least. Next up, a Thursday night encounter on the road in Sacramento. And I believe they go back-to-back Thursday and Friday, too. I think they're in Portland coming up on Friday. They close out this West Road 
third swing on Sunday on the road in Phoenix. So there's a lot happening, no doubt about that. We got you covered there. We'll get into the divisional round of the NFL postseason. If you did not feel thrilled with the the style, the brand of football that you saw Wild Card Weekend, you're not alone. It was rather boring. It was blowout city all the way around with the exception, for example, of a game like we saw with the Rams and the Lions. We'll see if the divisional round is any better than what we had witnessed so far. Hey, by the way, while I'm thinking about it, too, I do want to give away a couple of things. You have Bush coming up in concert. Gavin Rossdale and Bush. And we love giving away tickets. And we're going to do that for the Bush show here in Indianapolis, which should be absolutely spectacular. One of those that's going to be downtown at the Everwise Amphitheater, White River State Park. That is Sunday, August the 4th. Bush tickets for you right here at 239-1070. Number nine is going to go see Bush again on August the 4th. How about this? How about number 10 is going to go to the Golf Expo at the State Fairgrounds? If you love golf, we're going to give you a chance to go. Number 10 is going to win Golf Expo passes, courtesy of us. And more chances for you to win coming up, obviously, on tomorrow's show. We'll be loaded up with material no matter what happens between Purdue and IU coming up later on tonight. So loaded up, to say the least, coming up on tomorrow's show. More regarding the Colts and the offseason. A shout-out to Brad Spielberger of PFF. We talked a little bit about that. We talked about the landscape that has changed, honestly, in a dramatic fashion within the AFC South. Talked about that with Brad a little bit earlier. And just these games in general, the wild-card games, and then the expectation for the divisional round, which is coming up to Brad Spielberger of PFF, joined us a little bit earlier. That podcast at 1075thefan.com. Also, another shout out to our friend Greg Rakestraw. Actually, friends Greg Rakestraw, as well as Cal Nedenrip of the Star, sportscaster and sports writer of the year. Friends of this show, the year of this past, both Greg and and Kyle, and congratulations to both. Greg joined us a little bit earlier, as he normally does every Tuesday on the show. A lot of high school conversation, certainly significant college conversation getting into Purdue and IU. Now, looking around at Butler, where Butler is right now within the Big East, Indiana State, and what they're doing as far as the Missouri Valley is concerned. Greg Rakestraw, a little bit earlier, that podcast is at 1075thefan.com. And Alex Golden, a variety of things, including Pascal Siakam rumors. Do you buy the fact that he wants to hit free agency? He's going to guarantee nobody with a signing of an extension if he is traded. I've said all along, if that's the case, that's an absolute deal breaker for me. I'm not the biggest fans of this deal anyway, Considering what can be given up, but you add that to it, and to me, you absolutely erase any thought right there. So we'll do that. More on the NFL and the coaching carousel, Belichick, Harbaugh, all those possibilities and more that is coming up on tomorrow's show. Meantime, a lot more for you. The Raider on this week, I mentioned tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday, and really what is going to be a great Tuesday around here. You get the rivalry. You get Purdue and IU 
SCU down in Bloomington. 93 WIBC coverage begins coming up here in a matter of minutes at the top of the hour. And we'll have full, and I mean full, going over everything from both sides of the basketball what takes place in Bloomington later on? We've got that for you beginning at 3 tomorrow. James, thank you very much for everything that you do. All you listeners out there inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Outstanding work per usual. We'll go ahead and hit it. Jump out of here. Get you set for the rest of your Tuesday. Be back here coming up at 3 tomorrow. Thanks for listening. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.